Hey, Mark. Yo. Hey, guys. Clay. How are you? Pretty good. And Calvin? Calvin, you there? Uh, not yet, I guess. Calvin, you're connected, but you're not muted? Yeah. Okay, we got Calvin. (laughs) What part of I have to mute when I first come on record to ensure that you don't end up getting massive echo when I come blazing in? Because I bring echo with me wherever I go. That you don't seem to ever seem to get. Um, could you repeat that middle part? These nuts. screwed over today because of that. And technology. So, I think that we're, we got a little Canadian cast connection there. Hey. tenuous. Tenuous at best. For community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtgcast.com and our home site, commandocast.com. We're recording this on December 3rd, 2015. And whoo, boy, is it good to be back. Whoo, like, I totally get why Andy would take those, that four-week break thing back when we did seasons and, and all that. Like, it's nice to have the break, but it's also really nice to, to be back. And you know what? Who else is back with me? My Perunio co-host. First off, we've got Captain Red Zone, Calvin! How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right. Hello, everybody. It's the return of Commander Cat. We've been gone for roughly two weeks, as far as you listeners may or may not know. I mean, I'm pretty sure you know. You got a dangly bit episode last week, so that pretty much just tells you we weren't here. So, <laughs> uh, let's see. What else is there to say? Let's see. Well, uh, there's also the chance to say that Mark is here t- with us. Yeah, because, you know, we haven't been doing this for so long, I've kind of forgotten what the ranking system is now. <laughs> well, first it goes me, and then it goes okay. Calvin, and then, and then I alternate, and then I try and alternate between Mark and Clay, Commander Panda. Yeah, hey guys. Um, also, fun fun Commander Panda fact, um, if you guys are listening to this on Monday, December the 7th, when it comes out on our home site, it's also my birthday. So, Happy yay. birthday, Clay! Thank you. Woo-hoo. Send me cards. Oh, man. When I was in... Send Rock- them pictures of boobs and pictures of bears mating. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. Oh, man. Either kind of bear. No thanks. Now, see, even though I know the alpaca is more of a reference to Mallory, which I actually I think that's actually more of an assumption than me actually knowing, when I was in Rochester at Hammer Girl Anime, they had a bunch of alpaca plushies, and I just kept thinking, wow. I wish I had the money to, to send one of these to Clay. <laughs> and then I proceeded to spend nearly $400 on other stuff for myself. Because I... Eh, whatever. I, I couldn't help it. They had a Nanaha mat. Right, just, just right there. I have the worst influences for friends. Like, oh god, $400. Why? That that was my rent money. I mean, granted, I'm working, sem- I'm working 70 hour mandatory work weeks at the warehouse now because Christmas. So that will actually just pay for rent in one paycheck, but still, it it hurts my soul to think about it. And, Mark, what did you post here? Well, I mean, 
we talked about to, to totally derail everything you were just saying. We talked about the mating habits of bears. Um, and a buddy of mine just turned me on to a YouTube channel that has um an interesting video about the mating habits of ducks, uh, which scared me. So duck penises. <laughs> I just, I just, I just gotta warn you, like. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, no thanks. Yeah. I, thought I, I thought it was actually. I thought it was actually going to be bears, because I nope. you forget, Mark. I grew up on a bird farm. I've seen birds fucking. Like that's, this is nothing new to me. That's terrifying. Well, I was. And yes, it is terrified. terrifying. Yeah, it, it is very terrifying. This isn't. Yeah, like I grew up in the burbs, man. Like we ain't got ducks. Yeah, you so. grew up in the burbs. I grew up in the birds. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So, we're back, and as you can see, we are laser-focused on our topic today. Which, of course, after spending two weeks of playtesting, we now have a very good idea of how we feel about the 2015 Commander products. Yeah! So it's about time for us to actually give our in-depth review, as opposed to our preview. And give us another year, and we'll come back to these with some 2020 hindsight, like we usually do. But first, before we get to all that, guys, it's time to return. Favorite Commanders of the Week. Let's go ahead and start with Calvin. Calvin, who's your favorite Commander this week? Uh, so, my favorite Commander of the Week, I'm going to go with, uh, what's his name, uh, Daxos? Uh-huh. Black-white uh, legend we're, from the back. doing Kalimni? Oh, oh yeah, nice. I was doing Kalimni. I'm doing Kalimni. But if I'm talking about favorite Commanders of the Week, I'm going with <laughs> Daxos. That will tell you all you need Please to know about Kalimni. <laughs> Yeah, fair. I got like I got a chance to play around with the red white deck for the review, and a little bit of uh, time I got to throw down a little bit with the black white one. And um, I feel cheated, in all honesty. I feel as though I should have just said the hell with red white this year and just gone and picked the token generator like I normally would have. But nope, nope. I chose to stick it out for my t- for my team, and boy did I get fucked. But hey, you know, <laughs> kind of happens when you play Boros occasionally. So. You gotta hold out yeah. for for uh, for a gruel next year, man. That that's gotta be something. Something. Okay then. All right. So Clay, who's your favorite commander this week? Mizix. You'll find out why later. That not even it's any, been a lot of fun. Not even any hesitation. Clay's favorite commander this week is going to be Daxos to return. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did see a really sweet Karlov deck on Friday though. That one shot me out of nowhere, and it was pretty sweet. All right, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. But Mark, I swear to God, if you say Daxos, I'm gonna po- po- find a picture of the Jackson Five and post it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with my uninspired choice and just Marin of Clan Neltoth, who is uh, the general I played with the most. Um, she's pretty sweet. We'll talk about it later. All right, and you know what? You know, just be- just because Calvin stole the thunder from me, I'm actually gonna say Anya, the Merciless Angel. Yeah, uh, yeah, you can have her. You you can totally have her. And if you want, you can even have Kalimni. Uh, Mark, what? Uh, you you you're a former military personnel, correct? Yeah. What kind of atrocity would an individual have to commit to be dishonorably discharged from a legion from a group? Oh man, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't even have to be like rise to the level of atrocity. You can just be like kind of a scumbag, um, or just like we're talking about, like some base level crimes here. Like actually, like. Not, not, no, not even, man. Like, you could, you could be dishonorably discharged for all kinds of things. The most popular one when I was in was just drugs. So, like, I had a couple of buddies of mine who, um, are, got the dishonorable discharge just from coke. So. No, not, not like, alright, so, I mean, great. Like, what were you talking about, like, on the battlefield? Like, like, what would be, like, one of the worst things that you could think of that could potentially get the dishonorable discharge? I mean, you know, like, sure, the cocaine thing could be common or whatever the case may be. I'm not talking about, like, something common. I want to know what's... I'm talking about, okay. 
I'm talking um, about like like you came back, you read the report, and everybody went like, "Nope, this guy is." It had to gone. be, but it had to be something that got you court-martialed, right? Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, like a dishonorable discharge is a, is a court-martialable offense. Sometimes people waive the court-martial because court-martial is like a trial. You can you can waive it, and just plead guilty, and be like, eh, "Well, you're screwed." Um, but yeah, I, I would say. I mean, God, there's so many things, man. That's like saying what'll land you in jail. Like that's that's a like a, a court martial is the the equivalent to a felony. Like it goes on your record like a felony. Okay, so, so Cal- okay, Calvin, what are you trying? Calvin, what are you trying to get at here? No, no what I'm getting at is, is I want to find out like what would be like the military version of like just flat out like no, you're not allowed to be a part of this team anymore. No, you've been future endeavored. You're not allowed to return. We revoke I mean, your pass and your privilege because uh this uh, there's a couple characters that are that we will be discussing tonight and one in particular if I had a choice after some severe deep personal like thought and walks on the beach and like long long poetic moments to myself I realized does not represent the Boros Legion at all. Does not deserve to be here. And in all honesty, if it were up to me, I would put in for her to be discharged. It sounds like cowardice to me, man. Cowardice, failing to discharge your duty in a time of war. So, like any and any and all of the above, you know, like getting ordered to go over the hill, you stay in, you stay hunkering in your bunker, you know, any no, of the no, above. No, you know what? Actually, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll go with, uh, hmm, like, uh, well, like, let's see. Quickly, uh, we'll talk about it. We'll, um, we'll okay. talk about it. We'll talk about it. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get talk. to that. Long story short, the Boros, uh, Boros wasn't wasn't that great, huh? Uh, we'll get to that. We, 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 I will gladly discuss what's like um, my personal opinions about what happened with the red white Boros deck from this year. Once we get to that segment, but um, yeah, well. that's, it, it's a, that's a thing. I'm sorry, man. I wanted Boros to be really good this year. I want Boros to be good every year, but you know what? I can't really say anything because apparently me and William have this thing where we kind of alter each year between who gets the who gets fucked on the deck that they get. And last year, he got the black one, I got the awesome red one, and the year before that, I got the Barath deck, and he got other stuff. I don't even remember what deck he had, but, you know, every other deck there was better than what I got, so. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I am currently downloading uh, Aaron's responses to each of the decks. Yeah. So what I would like to do is is that, um, one, we're going to have to do a quick edit, edit where we're going to introduce Aaron. I'm going to cut his intro into the beginning. <laughs> Let the listeners know that he's actually not here, but he does—he he? did have a chance to send his responses. All right, Calvin, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to record all these different segments um, and different pieces. I'll have sort of an intro going on. I'll have one for each commander analysis-wise, so you can just cut me in wherever. Um, I think that this will give you guys a good baseline. Whatever you want to do... Um, my comments are here. If you want them, have them. But since it looks like I'm probably not going to be recording with you guys, I felt like this was the best way to go. So my favorite commander of the week is going to have to be Anafenza Kintree Spirit. Even though she's not really my favorite, she's been the one I've been playing uh, for 2DH. I made a little tokens build, and I tested it out, and it didn't really go so well. So it's my favorite but not so favorite commander week simply because I've been playing it. Uh, not really, like I said, not really a great deck, but whatever. To see, I was going to go ahead and say that we had Robo Aaron on. Like, we actually couldn't get... Like, Aaron actually just couldn't be here. So we went to to the Eldrazi, and they made a Robo Aaron for us, which is appropriate. I wouldn't go to the Eldrazi, wouldn't make that for us. No, no. Yes, I was 
I'll, mm. yeah, I'll the Marins, the Meridans would probably give us a Robo Aaron. Well, why can't the Eldrazi make us a Robo Aaron? Because the Ro- Eldrazi don't deal with robots, and if we went to them, they probably would just suck all of the spiritual essence and color out of us and turn us into empty husk. Well, how do you know? Have you ever went up and talked to one? No, because I've seen what they've done to other people when they've sucked the spirit energy out of them and left them as empty husk. That's tentacleist. Well, you call it tentacleist if you want. I refuse. I- I've seen enough hentai. I don't go near creatures with that many tentacles ever. There we go. Good life lessons. <laughs> like, All right. If there's one thing I've learned from Japan, you do not go near a creature with eight <laughs> tentacles ever. Period. Um, I don't or deal any octopus. tentacles for that matter. Yeah, yeah, none. No. Nope. Unless I you're playing tentacle bento. Nope. Not even that. I, I like. I don't deal with octopus. I don't deal with squids. Whenever someone's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to try this seafood dish," like, is it any like calamari? Yeah, count me out. Dude, yeah, man, takoyaki's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, until it decides it wants to like grow and to do all kinds of mutilating and violating things to your anatomy. So, for you listeners at home who are brave enough, look up baddragon.com. <laughs> no context. <laughs> all right. So, uh, back on. Why are you but, telling them to do that? I'm so, not telling them. I'm just saying. Oh, it's the that, internet. They would have done it anyway. I'm just saying, if they're brave enough, go to baddragon.com. All right then. So. Just happened to be my time. If you want to continue the conversations for anything that we happen to have here, not only can you check out our show notes, you can also hit us up in the Reddit threads, where we have a very small, very seedling community. But we can go ahead and get that growing. And hey, if you like, trees of today will be trees tomorrow. And hey, if you like what we do here, consider supporting us on Patreon. Right now, we're working to turn Commandcast into a self-sufficient network. And hey, some of you already believe in the dream, and you're already donating, and that is just fantastic. Like I think I've actually collected the first month's Patreon stuff, and it amounted to almost thirty dollars. There's actually someone who thinks that we're worth ten dollars a month. And that is just amazing to me. That's pretty impressive. That is. Yeah. Like, we're, we're not, like, that's, right now we're in tip jar mode. We're not posting anything yet. Hopefully we'll be able, we'll be, you know, pulling more stuff once I'm actually free in January. Because confirmed, I will be getting hired at the card shop full time in January. Which is yeah. awesome. Fucking awesome. But, yeah, right now it's just in tip jar mode. And if you want to help us out, hey, head over to Patreon. We really appreciate it. Alright. So, we're going to go into our, well, we don't really have our natural community strategy technology stuff, so we're just going to go right into it because we have a lot to talk about. That's right, folks. It's time for us to get into the dig and dirty of commanders and their first mates. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. That background juice. That is, that is all the background juice tonight. <laughs> background juice. All of it. All right. All right, folks. So here's how we're going to go ahead and break it down. First, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go around Story Circle. We're going to talk about the commanders. You know, we're going to look at each of the new ones, not the reprint. Then after that, we're going to go into our next segment, and we're going to talk about the deck itself. We'll talk about the deck strategy. We'll talk about some of the cards that we would put into the deck to bolster them. We'll talk about some of the um, the idiosyncrasies that we found out. And then after that, we'll go into oh, okay, never mind. Hmm? I was I was I didn't pay, I wasn't paying attention to the show notes. <laughs> so we'll talk. We'll give the not paying attention to so, the show notes. So first we have commander reviews, 
And then we're going to go have and talk about the decks themselves. And then for technology, we'll talk about, you know, pumping up the decks with a handful Pump of cards. you up. Thank you, Mark. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 I actually like that. <laughs> like, no, I was actually thinking about... I was actually thinking the same thing, but I had juice in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Calvin, you're juicing? You juicing, bro? Yeah, I'm juicing, bro. He's getting pumped up for that schedule, man. <laughs> All right. So, first off, since we're going in the Wooburg order, that means I'm up first, and I've got Daxos and Karloff. So, since it's, 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 it's been a couple of weeks, right? I mean, we don't necessarily have to go into detail about what these guys do, but, yeah, Daxos is our experience counter commander for Black White, and he's the one who makes spirits equal to the number of experience counters you have. His experience their, trigger... Their, their strength, their power and toughness are equal to the number of experience Their counters. power and toughness. Yes. They are very strong. Strong spirits. Strong mystery. Actually, on an off note, can I say that I actually really like the spirit tokens? Like, these things look pretty nice. Like, they look like they have this really big flower thing exploding from their head. I have not seen this token. It's the it's the kind of thing where it's like, I might actually need to, to find a way to pick up some more of these tokens, just so I don't have the two. Actually, why don't they just... I'm actually surprised the deck didn't come with more than two tokens. Yeah, like, it, it's just... That actually upset me. It's like the very least deck. Like, come on, we're going to make more than just two of these fuckers. Like, yeah, two is just the bare minimum amount to represent, like, okay, here are the tapped ones, here are the untapped ones, but come on, Watsy, chill out a little bit more. These are unique tokens. They're really cool. So, Daxos himself, I actually like him quite a bit now that I've had a ch- chance to play with him. Well, we what we were saying before, when we were trying to evaluate him and just experience counts in general, it was like, okay, are you going to wait until you have enough mana to play him, then play an enchantment so that you get the experience counter and you can automatically start making value? Or do you wait till like turn six or seven when you have you can play him, uh, and then you can at least make a token before he dies because obviously he's going to be a target. And for the most part, kind of like Daxos is definitely a tar- target after a certain point, where people look at him and they know what he does because what Daxos does if you leave him alone is actually really scary. You know, it get, I remember one game where I had five nine nines. Like, that was not a small number. I actually one-shot <laughs> someone just from, oh, hey, this guy's open. Well, let's go ahead and send the army in there, and now he's dead. Actually, the only reason I lost that game was because someone had reins of power and decided to swap their not-creatures for my big creatures. Although he actually had Mizzix, so the tokens still had power and toughness, and they killed me. But that was actually kind of awesome, so I don't think I Daxos... He's built around me, but he does something that's actually really important to what I like about my commanders. Is that he does something on his own. Now, granted, you have to have a little bit of setup because you need to be able to play enchantments just that he has experience counters to, so that he can pump out guys. But once you have, like, at least two, three experience counters, he actually just does stuff on his own. Like, there's free, it really shapes, slows you down tempo-wise in that, okay, I want to go ahead and cast a thing, maybe get another experience counter off of it. And then I'm always leaving up three mana so I can end of turn make a token. But that's actually fine, especially when you're making four fours and five fives. So my overall impression of Daxos, he's actually really cool. And again, does something on his own, which I really value in my command. Right now I'm working on Project Daxos, which is me just rebuilding the deck entirely from scratch. Uh, my issues with that precon are definitely not Daxos' fault. I think Daxos is a fantastic commander, and I highly recommend him for people who like playing the enchantment stuff, 
You can actually build a couple of different enchantment builds with him at the helm, but that's something that we can get to when we talk about the deck itself. Karlov, on the other hand, uh, this ties more, this ties back into, you know, problems with the deck itself, but Karlov, I just didn't see him at all. Like, I actually did get a chance to play him, but the life gain is so minimal in this deck that he actually doesn't make for a great out-of-the-box alternate commander. But, Clay, you were just saying that you saw a really cool Karlov deck. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this could be said for most of the secondary commanders. Because they are secondary, the deck isn't built to cater to them. So it really takes more of a dedicated deck. And a lot of the primary commanders for this cycle, too, could also have that said. But the Karlov deck itself was pretty sweet. It was just, we're going to gain life and make him really big and punch you in the face. Was it just black-white soul sisters? Basically. See, and I really like that. Like, with Karlov, you know, after poking around and looking at the different deck builds, because there was a point where I wasn't sure if I wanted to go with Dax, keep going with Daxos or try and tr- something with Karlov, but there are just a lot of different ways. Sorry. To get a lot of, on himself. To get a lot of, Actually, I kind of was after I found something in my toolbox. <laughs> Actually, hold on. Let me let me dig it out real quick. Like the, the way that this card is worded actually made it just really stupid in a Karlov deck. What card is it? Ah, here we go. Righteous cause. So for three white white, it's an enchantment that says whenever a creature attacks, you gain one life. Now, when I first read that card, I thought it was just whenever your creature, whenever a creature you control attacks, you gain a life. No, it's just whenever a creature attacks, period, gain a life. Yeah. Yeah. So you drop that down, and now every time someone's attacking you with like their Avengers Zenikar tokens and all that, Karlov just gets stupid huge. Yep. And on top <laughs> of that, even if they don't attack you with their tokens, like Mark swings at Clay, Karlov gets stupid huge. Yep. And just becomes. He just as he was to swing back at Mark, Karlov gets even more stupider. <laughs> Then William swings at Mark and Clay, and Karloff just becomes massively dumb. Like, oh, what, what, let's see, who's the, was it, was it Fatso? Yeah, I, I want to say it's Fatso. One of, one of, Ka- one of Casper's uncles. Oh, like, okay, just, there we go, there we go, that's what he was going with. <laughs> like, it just gets huge. I can think, like, it's not Magical Christmas Land to think of it, it's literally just one card you play with Karloff. Like, if you really want to dedicate yourself to the multiple pain, paper cut, blood artist, aristocrat type, life gain deck, Karloff can be a stupid good option. And because you're playing white, you already have all the counter spells, quote unquote, to protect them from spot removal, like Apostle's Blessing, God's Willing, Face Shield, all that awesome stuff. Very cool. Yep. And you want, there's even a small political aspect to it, in which you're like, hey, buddy, uh, you, you need that big thing gone. I want that big thing gone. Just swing three, things that, like, not me, and that'll make my guy big, and then I can get rid of it. Yeah. So, so that's what I've got to say on Dax and Karloff. One proved himself to be really good, and I'm happy to have him, and one is a very tingly brewer pick. <laughs> Alright, so what do you, so did you guys have anything else you wanted to add to Daxos and Karloff? Uh, I personally think that Daxos is amazing. You've said you've gotten a chance to get him down with, what was it? Three, uh, five nine nines? Yep. I didn't get a chance to get that epic with him. I got three eight eights, but still, I it's thought that it's just great. 
Yeah, like Daxos is just pretty amazing. I pers- I played them as soon as I got them because what was it? The deck had I think three enchantments in it that cost like a single mana or something like that. I forget which ones they were, but I ended up casting them like almost right back to back to back after I got Call Off. Not not Call Off. Um, Daxos out. And next thing you know, I'm like, oh, well, I've got all these experience counters. And then Daxos died. And I was like, I could care less. Because he only costs three mana, I'm going to pay five. And I'm going to bring him back. And once I do, all that mana just going into spirit tokens. And here's a 5-5. Five, five, and here's a 5-5. Five, five, and here's a 5-5. Five, five, and next thing I know, here's a 6. There's three six sixes on the board. There's three seven sevens on the board. And then it got to a point where I realized, you know what? I don't need to really play any, any anything else in this deck except for just maybe cast an enchantment just to get stuff up. I had a nice size hand. I could pretty much control the board with just the tokens. I didn't get a chance to play with um, Creepy Ghost Uncle, but, you know, still. <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay, and sometimes you're not even ca- casting him for the, with, for that attack. Sometimes you're just casting him for regular stuff or reanimating him because the, the precon actually just came with tools, but more on that later. All right, now that we've gotten a chance to talk about Daxos, here is where I'm going to insert Aaron's response to Daxos. All right, so just knocking it off right off the top. Karloff of the Ghost Council, definitely a card that I thought was going to be good in this deck. And is definitely not. It's definitely going to be a card that you have to build around, which I, I think was a good idea by um, just based on the way that the decks played. Um, this was a, actually a surprise to me. I thought it was going to go off more than it did. Really, you know, just fundamental attribution error. We see a bunch of life gain things. We think we're going to draw them all at once. Then we never do. Um, other than that, Oreskos Explorer, I talked about it. It's the bomb.com. Um, this is a card that is going to get planes for everybody everywhere. And it's going to make everyone upset at you. So play Oreskos Explorers, kids. Uh, talking about the man of the hour, the man who came back, Dex is the Returned. So definitely another card, I think, that wants um, a better mana curve assessment. And so in that vein, it falls similarly into the Azuri thing. However, unlike Azuri, I think this deck is actually more playable and maybe even more fun. Uh, one of the things that I didn't figure out until I was started playing the deck was that your creatures actually get more powerful. Um, the white and black spirits get more powerful every time you get um, experience counters, which is an inherent blowout advantage if you can go um, get two enchantments in one turn because they go up to power. And if you can, you know, have two or three enchantments, uh, two or three enchantment creatures out then you can start just going to work. What I ended up doing in this deck, I don't think I ever won a game with it. However, I had a lot of fun playing it. It was very cool to see, um, you know, some some of these reprints like, uh, where is it? Um, Karmic Justice, definitely. Um, a card I was looking forward to getting, Doomwake Giant, which I don't did, just didn't have a copy for whatever reason because I'm an idiot. Um, what else did I really like? Oh, um, this new card, Grasp of Fate, was really good. Uh, exile up to one target, not land permanent, that player controls So for each opponent. So, you know, just being able to play that in multiplayer. Uh, strongest card in the deck was Fallen Ideal, hands down. This card just bonkers with Daxos. Um, you always want a sack outlet to have, and you're always going to have one when you cast it and you put on Daxos. You're always going to be able to win if you have a w- way to do something. In uh, 1v1, I had uh, a really assembled a pretty good board state, played a Fallen Ideal on Daxos, and was able to get, um, I think I had some Double Strike on him, and, and I was just able to effectively end the game by just sacking my creatures and dealing 21 damage with 
my Daxos Double Striker Flyer with Fallen Ideal. Uh, I really underestimated this card. I will not do that again. This In this deck, it's probably one of the better cards to put in here. Some of the indestructible stuff was weird, though I really like Bastion Protector. Probably irrelevant in this deck. I think that this is going to go much better in something with like White Weenies or um, you know just some other stuff that's going to be playing that way. Let's see. Necromancer's Covenant um, was cute like one time, but never really got me there. Uh, Righteous Confluence actually was pretty funny. This is the in this particular instance, I had exiled. This is the deck that I exiled the Ride of the Raging Storm uh, with, and I did it with a Righteous Confluence, and I gained 10 life and exiled an enchantment, and I I felt pretty awesome, uh, even though I think Righteous Confluence is pretty hot garbage. Um, let's see. Never played Daxos's Torment. I don't think I ever want to, despite it having kind of decent art. I I do like the color palette going on here. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's just one of those decks that has to really get edited, and I think Will's going to talk a lot about that because I think he's already started editing this, uh, his, uh, for sure. I I did I have not edited mine, but I am looking forward to playing this in 2DH quite a bit. I think that it's going to be a pretty good multiplayer deck, and, um, you know, again, despite having kind of art deficiency, experience counter deficiency, which i still not really a fan, I am looking forward to casting Unholy Strength, Holy Strength, and shield, uh, what is it? Um, shield of the, no, not shield of the Oversoul. It would be um, Edge of the Divinity on Daxos. So I am looking forward to playing Enchantment Affinity, essentially, with with my Daxos deck. So if no one else has anything else on these two guys, then we can go on to Clay and his team. <laughs> so for this cycle, I decided to take the blue-red deck um, because I had recently built, you know, uh, Karanos Burn, and I wanted to see if we would get any cute new toys, and I ended up just building a different deck. So the commander and the secondary commander for this set, um, Mizix of the Is Magnus, is our experience counter commander. Um, basically, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that cost more than the number of experience counters you have, you get another counter. And then instant sorceries you cast cost one less for each counter you have. And she's just a 2-2 two, two for 4. So I've had a lot of fun with this commander. It's mostly based on the deck that it was built around, but I also had a lot of fun with the deck just out of the box because they supplied it with enough tools that things got pretty interesting pretty quickly. I got to jam a couple games the night they came out with my friend who bought the Marin deck. We just played a couple one-on-one decks, or a couple one-on-one games, and it was a lot of fun. Casting stuff for cheap, um, especially in a multiplayer game, casting blatant thievery for, like, three mana, stealing a bunch of stuff. Um, let's see, what else was in this deck? Uh, cute things. Cute things. Uh, Call the Skybreaker was absolutely hilarious late game in those games that we played with the stock lists. Um, it's a seven-cost sorcery with retrace that makes a 5-5 five, five with flying. And so when I had enough lands, I would just cast a spell, we would all draw a bunch of cards, and then I would pay two mana and discard a land, make a 5-5, five, five, make another 5-5, five, five, make another 5-5. Five, five. Mizzix is funny. Mizzix out of the box is completely worth it. So, did you get into situations where you felt like Mizzix was being targeted a lot, like people were just trying to keep you off of her? Every single experience counter commander will run into that problem. Mizzix at least has counter spells. <laughs> right. 
Well, there's, was there situations where it just felt like she was not pulling her weight then, or did you always have the ammunition to make her work? Um, with the way that I have built my personal deck, yes. Um, with the stock list, not quite as much. Um, just because there are a lot of superfluous creatures in the deck, um, that I was wondering why they were even in there. Yeah. Like, but other than that. <laughs> yeah, that no, the, we're talking commander. <laughs> Well, there's the obligatory Navi for the episode. We've met our quota there. So, <laughs> so Mizzix to me, and th- I was listening to Noel and Eric talk about her on a rival school a couple weeks back and then on their last episode. And they're going on about how bad she is and, and all that. And I look at Mizzix, and after talking about with my sister, because she got, actually got Mizzix too, and she loves her new goblin friend. It seems like Mizzix is much more of a tempo commander mm. than than anything else. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Basically, you need to be able to um, get her online pretty quickly, or at least be able to back up when you do get her out. So there are some times where, like, I'll wait until I have, like, five or six mana so I can cast her and then immediately cast something else to start getting the counters. Because getting that first counter is probably the most important thing for the deck. Yeah, because, like, people were talking about, oh, oh, this is great for the blue-red X spell. Like, you can play Fireball and every Experiment and all this awesome stuff. But it really seems like the strength of Mizzix comes from being able to cast two or three spells in a single turn. Like, that's the tempo thing. Like, it's, okay, end of turn, cast a draw spell, refill my hand, cast two or, th- or three spells, then cast another draw spell, refill my hand again. Yeah. Okay. So overall, you really like Mizzix? Would recommend? Yeah. Um, moving on to the secondary commander of the deck, uh, which I never played as the actual commander for the deck, but I did get to cast him once or twice uh, the first night I played with it. Arjun the Shifting Flame. It's a 5-5 Sphinx for 6. Um, whenever you cast a spell, you put the cards in your hand on the bottom of your library and draw that many cards. So the first time that I cast him, unfortunately I didn't get to live the dream, but the turn before I played him, I played Thought Reflection, which is included in this deck, and I'm pretty sure it was actually a little bit expensive before the reprint, but... I played Thought Reflection, then I played Arjun. Sadly, I didn't have the mana to follow up, but I was hoping to just untap and be like, I'm going to cast this spell, I'm going to put these five on the bottom, and I'm going to draw ten. And I'm going to cast another and draw twenty. I was hoping to do that, but sadly, my buddy Matt had enchant removal and we were sad. But Arjun is weird. There were very few situations where I would play him in a blue-red deck over any other commander. But I would love to see what people come up with. And now that we've talked about Mizzic, we're going to insert Aaron's response to Mizzic here. Hokey doke. So Clay's deck, probably the most swingy. Um, and he'll be talking about how crazy his games are. I'm sure he's got plenty of stories to tell you because so do I. Um, this is one of the decks that I think everybody really liked to play. And I was actually pleasantly surprised um, that I, I enjoyed playing it too. The first game I went through, I didn't really know what I was doing. And uh, just kind of played it really poorly and ended up losing uh, because I had made a silly agreement not to aetherize my opponent's stuff um, uh, the turn that he was going to kill my opponent, and he ended up gaining a bunch of life, blah, 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 blah. So the story goes. Uh, one of the great things about this deck that they built into it are the X-Bells. So they already gave you some premier stuff. You've got Comet Storm, got uh, Repeal, which is, was surprisingly better. Dominate was fun. 
Um, I think Clay hit a lot of these uh, in our assessment a couple of weeks ago. They, it was just a really cool deck overall. Some of the creatures that were big whiffs. Um, so Ride of the Raging Storm, again, another big whiff. Um, Warchief Giant, really just not great in this deck. Uh, this is going to be a card that's going to be cool in like multiplayer Heartless Adetsugu decks. Um, just things that want like a like a quick ball lightning that can hit your opponents a bunch of times. Um, was was pretty much a whiff in here. You don't really need that damage. You're going to get some combos off as long as people leave Mystics alone. Uh, big hits, Charmbreaker Devils, super good. Uh, big whiff, Ethereum Horn Sorcerer. Arjun the Shifting Flame, really disappointed how this card works in the deck, but really excited to see what people are going to do with it elsewhere. So this is, again, I think part of that archetype thing that Wizards is doing. They're putting cards in here that, you know, you're going to put and make in another deck, etc. Uh, dragon Mage, and then the, the new dragon, uh, what's it called? Something nonsensey. Um, anyway, the other dragon, also pretty rough too. I think that that was in the red-white deck. I'm messing up here. Okay, so Mizzix's Mastery, absolutely just bonkers crazy. Everybody knows this at this point, if you haven't. Um, one of the crazy things about this deck, so I noticed that if you get just a really great draw, you are going to go off very quickly. Um, and if you don't, then you're going to sit around and not have any fun. It's just so polarizing. And I think that flavor-wise, that's probably like blue-red at its best. It's extreme you know, knowledge or you know, the lack thereof. I, I think that flavor win from the play standpoint, still disappointed a little bit in the way that Mizzix is going, but whatever. Uh, I think this deck had some of the coolest spells. I had a lot of fun getting on the phone to call the Skybreakers, because that's what you do. You get on the phone and you call the Skybreakers, and that's what I did a bunch of times. Um, I ended up playing this deck in a mirror match, and it was absolutely just hilarious fun. Um, one of the guys I play with, uh, who, who got picked up the other copy, we just had a ball playing these decks against each other because we knew it was in each other's decks. We were sometimes playing spell, the same spell one after the other. It was, it was actually just insanely hilarious. Uh, Meteor Blast, another great card from this deck. Uh, again, an X spell, which allows you to just get big, uh, right quick. Um, in the right hands, this deck is just insane. Uh, good players are going to know how to play this well, while you know bad, mediocre to bad players like myself are going to kind of scratch their heads a little bit, but then they're going to find you know some way to make this work, or they're just going to pull Mizzix out and make their Storm deck and go busted, um, which is what happened. I've already seen that happen uh, across the internet. So overall, I really I thought I actually had more fun with this deck than I expected, and uh, I. Definitely am not looking forward to seeing this more in the metagame because I think that's it's gonna be a little boring, but hey, um, teaches them. Next up, we've got Mark. Yo, so I love me some Golgari guys, so I took the Golgari deck this year. And as far as like a, as far as bringing shit back from your graveyard goes, man, Marin is a champ, let me tell you that. So, <laughs> do you like having stuff pop out of your graveyard onto the battlefield for free? Boy, do, do I. Oh, man, if you do, yo, take Marin. I had at one point, I don't know, like, when I was playing, I, I stopped counting experience counters after a while because I was up to, like, 30-something, and it's just like, this is silly. Like, every everything's coming out of the graveyard. 30? And I, oh, yeah. Oh, it was ridiculous. Like, I mean, it, first of all, it's a Golgari deck, right? And even one-on-one, -on -one, I had, like, 30 counters of crap that just dies because yeah. stuff dies, and it just comes back. So, you know, just to read it, because I misread this. Me and uh, me and the Balduvian bear himself got got a chance to sit down and play it, and it was awesome. 
And um, I had misread this the first time I played it, like the first game or two. So Marin of Clan Neltoth, the, it, she's a 3-4 whatever legendary creature human shaman. But the important bit, whenever another creature you control dies, you get an experience counter. I'm like, okay, we get that. No problem. At the beginning of your end step, choose target creature in your graveyard. If that creature's or if that card's converted mana cost is less than or equal to the number of experience counters you have, return to the battlefield. And this this last part is the part that I missed. Otherwise, put it in your hand. So every yeah. turn, you're getting some shit out of your graveyard. It's either going to the battlefield or it's going in your hand, but you're getting it out of your graveyard every single turn. As so, long as you've got converted mana costs, as long as you've got experience counters, you're good. And something in there that's equal to or less than. Yeah, and even if you don't, it's going back into your hand. So things, you know, like low-cost things, like Wall of Blossoms, like it, under the rare circumstance that you, would, you wouldn't you would have the two experience counters to pull Wall of Blossoms back onto the battlefield and get the card, like it's coming back into your hand anyway. Like it's it's just it's just crazy, man. Like stuff. It was actually hard to keep things in my graveyard in this game. Like it, it just everything just popped back. You only get one, right? But unless they're just exiling it, or you know, like I got back. This is like the first time that I'd ever got to play with something like Frexian Plague Lord. Say. Like, and I, like, I just never have it. Like, he's always sitting on the sidelines, so he came off the bench because he was in the precon. He's pretty cool. I could not count the number of times I cast Phyrexian Plague Lord or Phyrexian Plague Lord hit the battlefield because it was like an every turn thing. Because his, his sacrifice abilities, you tap him, sack, you know, creature gets minus four into minus four. And it was just every turn. Like, so anything that John had on the other side of the field that had four toughness was just dying automatically to the point where after a while, he's like, well, I don't, I don't even know why I bother to cast anything that has like in, at least five toughness because it's going to die like immediately. So it, it was it was a ton of fun. If you're just I don't know if you're in the mood for b- building a really good like graveyard deck, like graveyard shenanigans. I'm not going to say like really good. I should walk that back. Um, but graveyard shenanigans, like Marin is the ultimate enabler for graveyard shenanigans. Like yeah. it's just gonna, it's just gonna pop back. Like you're gonna get it. And since experience counters, you know, stay, you're just gonna, you're gonna have the mana. You're probably gonna cast her a couple times because people are gonna get tired of, uh, you know, you're never gonna attack with her probably because what the effect you're, you're wanting on her is worth more than the three toughness you're gonna get. Unless you're doing something bananas like, I don't know, like strapping a bone horde onto her. I tried to do that as a Hail Mary once. It didn't turn out well and I lost the next turn. But I was going to lose the next turn anyway, so don't take that for you know, take that for what you will. Um the entire deck I think does cool things. There's there's some things that are a little misplaced. I I don't for the life of me understand why like black market is not in this deck, why it was in the black white deck instead. Like I'm sure it did some work in the other deck, but like come on wizards, like if you're going to put black market, one of my favorite enchantments in a in a deck it should have gone in this deck. It's because and, it's an enchantment. Yeah, I know, but eh, whatever. So there are other black enchantments. You know, some other things like um, I actually never saw Masaryk Crowl Death Priest, even though, you know, that dude's got like the most metal name in all the precons. Um, the insect shaman guy, like he seemed cool. He just never showed up. Like in all the games I played, he never popped up. Um, he just took a break. He just took a break. He was just like, nah, Marin got this. So Marin's got this. I don't need to even deal with you right now. Exactly. Um, like cookies, cookies. I'm gonna go get cookies. Anybody want? In you know yeah. you. All right, good. Marriage, you got this, right? I'll be right back. Yeah. And like the other, like I guess. Okay, so if we if we got if we got commanders and first mates, what are we calling the reprint commanders that are in here? Crap. Uh, that's I mean, 
That's what I'm Ooh, going with. Okay, Waste I like that. You like get special flat guest stars? Crap. Sure. Nope, just flat out crap. Crap. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> well, cameos. Commanders. We, we've got commanders. We've got our sergeants or lieutenants or whatever you want to call them. And then there's crap. We're going with cameos. I kind of like cameos because, like, Gerard in this one was. Like, he's a good card, man. Like, Gerard, Golgari, Lich Lord. Like, let's not get around it. Like, he's a good Golgari general. Right. However. You had Malik in the blue-red one, Giselle in the red-white one. Yeah, I mean, you got some good stuff. I mean, Giselle was the best thing about that Boros deck. So, you know. Um, um, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. All right. But anyway, like, Gerard seemed misplaced to me in this deck. I honestly would have red-headed Sabra um, if I was going to go with a, another Golgari general because, you know, Gerard's ability to pay three and sack another creature, have each opponent lose life equal to the sacrificed creature's power. You don't, the, the, one of the real problems with this deck is there's not a lot of punch to it. Like, there's not a whole lot of power going on here. Um, with the exception of the path, like, Pathbreaker Ibex, like, yo, like, overrun, overwhelming stampede goat is the nuts. Like, that, <laughs> go buy that card. Overrun goat is as good as you think it is. Like, that card is awesome. Um, but the other ones, like, eh, like, you're struggling for six sixes here. You got Caller of the Pack, but, I don't know, anything with Myriad on it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, because I mostly played one-on-ones with this. I played, like, one multiplayer game ever with this, and I never got my Myriad creatures. So, Banshee of the Drag Wire, Caller of the Pack, uh, they whiffed pretty hard, so, like, paying, paying, paying five for Banshee of the Choir, for instance, <laughs> like, you're paying five for a four-four that doesn't fly with the specter ability because when it deals combat damage, the player discards a card. Yo, that's a big whiff. Also, magic. What the hell? It's a spirit that doesn't fly. I will never understand this. Welcome back ever. to Kamigawa. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I just don't. So, um, a lot of the other ones were kind of cool. Like I thought it was neat. The Eater of Hope was in there. Um, some of the like it got some cool reprints in there too. Um, yo, Verdant Force was surprisingly amazing in this deck. Especially since they had a what's it, Eldrazi monument? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. that was that was a really good one. Yeah, the the black green precon was hands down the best selling precon that we had in the shop because it just had so many stupid cards in it. It did. I mean, you know, like Eternal Witness is good everywhere, uh, obviously. Um, You know, and you can overlook some of the really dumb ones like Blood Baron. You're like. Right. Blood Baron, you could not get a more obvious, like, alright, pitch this card the minute you crack that deck open. Like, the minute, you know, unless you were doing our thing, which is, you know, reviewing the deck as is, like, just pitch that fucker so hard. Um, like, right back into the trash bin where it came from. Alright, so, we'll pull, so let's go ahead and pull it back to, to the double M's. So overall, Marin, feel pretty good about her? Marin was really good. Yep, I liked her. I, I do have one special mention, I know we're going with commanders, the, uh, commander cast, um, you know, uh, the release card that we got, Bloodsport Threnax, that dude is amazing. Like, he's just as amazing as a mono green bio man- master biomancer would be. So, even though this deck doesn't play an awful lot with plus one, plus one counters, it doesn't matter. Because, for instance, like, just farting out with, uh, with Verdant Force, like, farting out four, four Sapperlings every turn. Yeah. Like, everything's just, it's just so good. It's just so, so good. So, um. See, as uh, guys as I am to hear that, my experiences with Marin were a lot of bitching by one person who wasn't happy with the... <laughs> Put it back in your hand? Uh, he, his complaint was that he never had anything that he was excited to bring back. What? It's like, It's like, oh, I'm getting back a wall blossom. Okay, why do I care? Like, he... 
my general impression was that Marin is very much a value engine, hmm. but but yep. she doesn't facilitate those really huge and crazy plays that this particular person wanted. Like, I yes, Marin su- looks super sweet, but you're playing her because you love value. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a good way to say it, too. Um, You know, there's... I, I don't know. You, you know, if you're not looking for, I guess, like a, a toolboxy value, like it, she's an engine general is what she is. And if you want to yeah. assemble that engine, and I would imagine most people playing a graveyard strategy, like that's what you're after, you know? I mean, it, to me anyway. Um, the problem with the deck is, like I said before, there's not a lot of big plays. There's a lot of sweet plays, but they're like sweet side plays. For instance, like I, I remembered how awesome primal growth is. So. <laughs> <laughs> Paying three mana, sacking a creature, getting two untapped lands, untapped, straight to the battlefield. Oh, like, yeah. that's pretty sweet, man. You know? Like, spider spawning is always awesome. Um, I don't, I don't know, you know? But, I mean, awesome in the way that, like, man, I just got an army of spiders. Yeah. Not like, man, I'm gonna win the game. Because odds are, mm, I did not win a whole lot of games playing this deck. But it was fun. And now that we've talked about Marin, I'm going to insert Aaron's response to Marin here. So, Mark, you really drew the winner here with Marin of Clan Neltoth. Um, Death Threat Shaman's mom really had it going on. This deck was so insane, so powerful. Uh, one of the coolest things about this deck. So, I had a really kind of weird circumstances. It was Friday the 13th that these decks came out. I went and picked them up, and uh, when I got home, I realized I had six decks, and I had two copies of the Azuri deck. So the store called me and actually, you know, said, hey, do you have two copies? I said, yeah. So can you bring it back? I said, sure, blah, 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 blah. Well, I bring it back. I come back. I open up this deck, and I have five extra cards. So I had five, a Sakura Tribe Elder, a Seder Wayfinder, a Viridian Emissary, and a Wall of Blossoms. I think that's one, two, three, four. Um, and I think another Ewit or something, something really weird. Like it was like five utility creatures that were just extra prints in my deck. Because when I went to sleeve it up, I'm like, I have five extra cards. How's that happen? Well, they added extra cards to my my pre-con package. <laughs> Pretty weird. Uh, so Marin overall, probably the best deck out of the box. Uh, playability-wise, super strong. Um, her ability is just too easy to trip. And I think that that's what you're seeing um, in her price uh, reflection, that people are going to do this, and it might see some fringe play in, like, Vintage. Um, or Legacy. Um, that's what I'm hearing anyway in the Grapevine, because getting a card back from your hand and being able to do that immediately, uh, pretty pretty powerful stuff. So we've got Marin. Um, Marin covered, powerful again, powerful card. Um, Jun flavor, pretty rough in my opinion. I, I just don't see this as a Jun creature, but bygones be bygones. Uh, this deck is also chock full of cool cards that I like to play. Um, Acidic Slimes, Kerr Tribe, you know, just things that people know is universally good. Then there's the things that are universally insane, like Mazarek, Crawl Death Priest. So didn't think this card was going to be as powerful as it is. Um, and then I just wasn't thinking because this I got out of hand so fast. Um, I was If you combo with our uh, Commander pre-con card, um, or pre-release card, whatever you want to call it, Bloodsport Thrynax, things can get pretty ugly pretty quickly. And uh, I was able to do that in a game. Got some huge creatures. Um, just kind of Timmy, plus one, plus one countered out. Uh, it was very cool, very fun. And um, there's a deck that I actually play against in my metagame that's a Varal's deck that's kind of like a value deck where you play out of the graveyard, etc. Um, getting Wood Elves and doing Sakura Tribe stuff, like, 
it's just so much value. It's so powerful that it was one of those things. Uh, surprise in the, in the deck was uh, Centaur Vine Crasher. So this is a card that Clay really liked. Um, he was pretty excited about putting it into Borborygmos. This is a card that I did not think would be very good in the pre-con, just simply because I didn't think there was going to be enough uh, land cards that were going to graveyards. Boy, was I wrong. Cycling, um, Terramorphic Expanses, all kinds of stuff are going to the graveyard, and when you have enough card advantage, you're discarding stuff, and you're prob I was discarding land so that I could get this thing to be bigger. Um, it was real fun. I had a lot of excitement playing this. I actually played a mirror match against another guy who had the Marin Precon, and we had a lot of fun uh, playing that particular game. Um, he ended up beating my butt, but he's just a better player than me, so um, that happens. Uh, cards that really stunk. Uh, Thief of Blood. I never wanted to cast this card. Just take it out immediately. It's uh, it's hot garbage. Hot, hot, hot garbage. Um, cards I also really liked. Pathbreaker Ibex because Goat. Uh, really, really a funny card. Uh, Champion of Stray Souls is still too slow. We found that out again. Uh, but it was still charming to see nonetheless. Spider Spawning for good flavor measure. Green, black, you got to play Spider Spawning um, in your value deck. That's pretty much all I have to say about this. I think you guys are going to cover the rest of it. Um, some really cool cards, some really great stuff in here. Um, Confluence was great. Um, I just don't have anything really mean to say about it other than the fundamental experience counter thing, which, you know, I can get over to play mechanically, but I still don't enjoy it. The list. All right. So, with that said, Calvin, I got your soapbox yes, for you. <laughs> oh, so uh, I get a soapbox? Oh, well, you know, Calamity, I'm not going to need a soapbox for. No, no, but you're definitely going to need one for the second half of this. Oh, 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 I, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, man, we'll get to that. But, uh, yeah, if we're just talking strictly about commanders, and the commanders alone in this segment, I have no issues with Calamity, the disciple of Iros. You know, she's cheap. She's a cheap date. You know, she doesn't ask you for much. She only asks for four mana, which we can all typically, we all can agree. That's, you know, that, that's standard. Anyone can provide four mana. You know, she she gives bang for the butt. You know, she'll hit you twice. She'll do the vigilance thing for you. And, you know, depending on how the deck works, you know, she can get those experience counters. Now, I would have to say, like, one of the main things that I have that I think is a downside for Calamity is, is the fact that her experience counters really only affect her. See, with Daxlos, his experience counters, yeah, they affect him because he has to get them. But when he's gone, the spirits are still working. When the experience counters are there for a Marin, yeah, it's really her. But, you know, even if she doesn't have experience counters, she's still putting in something for you to get the cards back. Mm -hmm. And so far, like, you know, all the other creatures, like, you know, the experience counters are there, but they can work with other aspects of the deck in a way, you know? Fair. But with Kalibni, like, once those experience counters are there... If she's not there, those experience counters don't do a damn thing. When she is around, they only really work for her, period. And that's basically the extent of it. So I would say that if we were just playing, a, like, a deck, I'd probably easily put her in a deck where I had, like, say, like, if I was doing a five-color deck and I took all five of the commanders that did experience counters and slapped them into a deck, hell yeah, Columbia would go in there. Why? Because she gives me an excuse to get more counters. She gives me a reason to have, abuse those things. And, you know, you can probably end up having her as a 30-30 double-striking vigilant creature, depending on which other experienced legend showed up. But, you know, as far as, like, her deck is concerned, she doesn't really do much. But I will say that I personally think that she is leading the wrong deck. 
I will say that much. I believe that the deck that we got with her is not the deck for her. If you were looking for a legendary giant or a commander for your giant deck, she is not the one ever. <laughs> she doesn't care about, she, I mean, she cares about the other giants, but in the same token, she really doesn't care about the giants. I mean, you know, she kind of gives that subtle hint, like, yeah, I love giants, in quotations, where giants is basically lowercase g and not capital G. She wants big stuff. She wants big creatures. She wants giant monsters. She wants giant angels. She wants giant humans, but she doesn't really care if they're actually giants. They probably thought that making it whenever you cast a giant spell would be too narrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm glad he didn't go with that, because then I would have to have a totally different review <laughs> of what I think Clemley is. Completely, completely different review. Oh my god, would she suck. <laughs> I just, I don't know, man. Like, okay, even as even as the, the, the tribal guy who loves him some derpy-ass tribes, like, Man, giant tribal? I just don't. Giant tribal, man. I just don't. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. just, uh-uh. Mm-mm. Oof. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's all we need to say. Yeah. Uh, it's like the more you think about it, it's like yeah, it's like your brain comprehends what you're saying, but then it's giving you the instant nay no. Don't yeah. do it to yourself. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of other tribes out there that could clearly use a commander. Don't get me wrong. Giants, they could use, like, you know, some commander love. But in the same token, that's not the tribe that I would kind of want to build a deck around. And even with some of the commander, even with some of the giants that's currently in the deck, uh, if I had a choice, I'm pretty sure these aren't, these are not the giants that I'm looking for. I, I got, like, I asked for giants and the wrong ones showed up. It's like I asked for Andre the Giant and I got Big Show. Like, you are not equal to what I was looking for. You appear from a distance, decent, but up close and personal. You are not <laughs> what I asked. See, this is hilarious to me because, like, I remember I was listening to the, the, the review show that, um, you know, that, that Noel and Eric had done. And, yo, they were really hot on the Boros deck. Like, they really wanted to play the Boros deck. And, and I, I thought really they were doing to play it too. I know, but like I thought they were doing it ironically at first because they're like, "No, man, this thing looks awesome." And I'm like, I had to do the thing. I'm like, man, am I looking at the same deck list? Like, do do no one Eric have like a secret deck list that got released just for them or something? Like, I don't know. This doesn't. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've always kind of wanted to play Sunrise Sovereign, but I don't really give a shit. I just, uh-huh. I, yeah. Oh man. I'm, you see, the thing is, like, my key, the, the, my key thing here is not Kalimni. But it has to do with, it's like, it's almost as if I'm going through Marath 2.0. Calumny is not the problem. Everything else, the other 99, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah, ooh, the other 99 in that Marath deck. Ooh. <laughs> ooh. So, I've seen, so, like, from what I've seen with Aaron and just other people on that release weekend, like, Calumny looks like she deals just a lot of damage on her own. What kind of, what kind of deck do you think that she should be leading, Calvin? Not this one. No, no, yes, yeah, we've, we've established not this one, but what do you all think right, would right. fit her a lot better? Okay, uh, uh, just, you know what, I'll get into what deck she would be better with in the next segment. Because if I start it now, I won't have anything to say later except for putting more dirt on top of the dirt that I'm about to kick all over this deck. All right, so you want your soapbox now? 
Oh, I can do that now? Like, uh, we're going into the thing where I can just go on and just talk about how um, this deck is not what you should be expecting from a Boros deck? I've removed the soap. You may have the box. Soapbox alert. All right. No, no, about Anya. About Anya. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, damn. He souped me up for the wrong thing. Anya is, um, okay. I personally, as a captain of the Red Zone and proud member of the Boros Legion, am now submitting in that I believe that Anya should not only be dishonorably discharged from the Legion, but me and Mark have come to terms. And, Mark, can you provide me with the action that she is currently violating, sir? <laughs> yes. Uh, so. Under the uh, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, uh, Article 133, um, we have decided that uh, Kalemni is uh, guilty. Not Kalemni, Anya. Anya. Oh, Anya. Kalemni sorry. Is uh, Anya is. You're right. You're right. Okay. So yeah, you're right. she's she's testifying against. Um, mm-hmm. that she's Anya is, <laughs> Anya is guilty of conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman. So yes. Um. So, listeners, as far as Anya is concerned, and as far as a member of the Boros Legion, I will have to honestly and truthfully sit here and testify that this commander is not a Boros commander. She is aggressive, I will admit, but she has, on several occasions, taken prisoners and bent them to her will in a way that would be considered unconventional and unsuitable. She has a tendency to torture, harm, and downright degrade her victim without actually proceeding further in dealing with them. Say, for instance, if I were to randomly come down the street and you were stabbed, it would be on my conscience as a member of the Boros Legion to assist you, to help you get from your stabbed position into a better condition. Now, whether or not that means that you are on the at the point where no medical treatment can assist you and I have to put you out of your misery, that is one thing. If you happen to be capable of being fully revived, I, according to the Geneva Code, am not allowed to just take you prisoner and leave you bleeding in my basement. But Anya has done this on several occasions, and to not even great effect, just mainly for her own personal and sadistic pleasures, and in all honesty, I feel as though that the white coloring on her is not there. She has no justice. She does not abide by any laws. She happens to be closer to more of a Rakdos player. So as a member of the Boros Legion, this Rakdos legend that has somehow slipped amongst our ranks should be completely discharged and no longer allowed to be played as a Boros commander. Stripped of her rank as commander. Those are some heavy accusations, accusations, Captain. You may present your proof. Uh, proof. Number one, Anya's ability violates what I would consider to be uh, the, the rules of warfare in a commander game. Typically, when a Boros deck, or at least one that I've played, plays, it's either A, fair shots to everyone, or B, taking people out one at a time. Anya does not do so. She takes out an individual to dismembered or potentially disfigured positions, putting them down in the game to the point where they can no longer really access the game. So, say for instance, not in this particular deck because this deck sucked, but if she happens to be in a deck that was built for her, she could easily destroy a ton of lands and leave someone completely incapable of playing the game. Therefore, why are they still here? They might as well either A, scoop 
or B, just be taken out. But she doesn't want that. She wants him to stay around because she then gets her boost. You don't get the boost if the person leaves. There's no other player there. You understand. But with her, she wants you to harm someone but not finish them off. When you go to war, if you have your finger on the trigger, you pull the trigger. You don't put your finger there unless you're willing to kill the individual that's on the other end of that barrel. Anya puts her finger on the trigger, lowers the barrel down to right about your hip, and then shoots you. And then lets you waddle there in the mud as she walks off and then continues to shoot everybody in her path in the hip. <laughs> it's like she's constantly dick-shotting everybody. <laughs> Damn. He keeps punching me in the dick. Why does he keep kicking me in the dick? Exactly. And, and the thing is... She pretty much still leaves the players in the game, and the only way to keep a player in the game, or at least willing to stay in the game, is to keep leave them with enough resources to the point where they could potentially rise back up and take you out. In which case, she hasn't really even effectively done her job as a commander in leading the troops into defeating the enemy. In fact, sometimes, the enemy that she shot in the dick comes back and kills you. That was far... My deck. Uh. Because you had to leave them here. Because if you didn't, she wouldn't get the bonus. So what's the point of her... <sighs> you know, uh, uh. Oh, that's disappointing, man. So yeah, um... What was that? Yeah, so Anya <laughs> does not need to be a horse commander. I can easily see her probably being in a red, white, black deck for... I don't know, Kalia, if she wants. Just... Bad angels, sure, why not? Anya can easily fill it over there. But as far as individually for a Boros deck, I don't think she deserves to be in it, nor do I think that she deserves to be at the helm of it. Fair. Now, with that said, I do like the Anya deck that a friend of mine built. Just because And of course you would. <laughs> it's one it's one of those high it's one of those really this coming fast from the pressure this, this coming from the guy who plays Kalia would have to love the Anya deck that his friend built. See, I didn't say I love I it. I like your it. testament from the record, sir. No, we are not promoting this. No, no, it's it's one of the, it's one of those, you know, <laughs> mana barbs, everyone takes a bunch of damage type decks. It's trying to kill everyone at once. So in that respect, I like. think, but think, but the thing here though, William, in a Manor Barb's deck where everyone's taking a bunch of damage and Anya shows up, it's kind of too little, too late because now she's shown up and she's just overkill. Everyone's already actually half dead. no, because what he uses Anya as he uses her as like this huge wall that just keep people off of them while he continues to burn the world. Yeah, but you could have used any other creature than Anya to do so. But Anya's that 7-7 indestructible blocker while you burn the world. It's actually... Okay, I, like, so I actually like it. Alright, so we're talking... So you want a 7-7 who's a blocker that can protect you while you're destroying the world? We could easily have just put Gisela in that spot. She would have worked just as but, fine. But she costs like two extra. And this yeah, is but four. still... But she's so, way better. Yeah, but, yeah, but still, much better. Plus, she insists she, she would assist you in burning the world by making it so that when the world gets burnt, it burns twice. But she costs seven. Yeah, and Anya costs five, and she sucks. <laughs> sure. Well, I wouldn't say she sucks. I'm pretty sure there's probably a deck out there that someone could build like your friend that would enjoy it, but in the same token, it's a horrible representation of what a Boros deck would be. See, actually, this reminds me of something. I think it was Baronis on the Reddit thread. 
And if I remember correctly, Baroness was actually kind of upset. I don't know if it upsets the right word, but they were disappointed that Watsy wouldn't really print a red white deck that was, you know, resource choking deck. Basically, mm. ruination, stranglehold. stranglehold, basically the red white effects that say, you, I'm going to deny you as many resources as possible while I kill you. And Anya, Anya kind of fits that mold, maybe. But she doesn't deny, she doesn't deny you resources. She just happens to be like, oh, look, you are still alive. She denies no you resources. death. She denies you death, sir. <laughs> no, she doesn't because you can concede. But that's not, well, so. Right. Next, next here's, up. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like, like you want to take that stance? We can take that stance. All right. So let's put it to you like this, right? I'm devastating the world. I'm locking everything out. Armageddon's all over the place. Wrath of God, go right ahead. Jackal hops coming left and right. Anya shows up. Okay? You see this. You have no lands. You have no creatures. Yeah, she's a big, like, I don't know, 8899 or whatever the big, whatever the hell she is. Massive, indestructible angel. Your opponents look at you. The ones that can fight back that Nanya's not getting the bonus for, they have no reason not to leave the game because they could probably still win. The opponent who has no lands, has no creatures, is down to 10 life points and realizes that he's never going to get a chance to play anything. He could just concede, and now Anya drops back down to her original stats because there's no creature with no player on the field in the game with a life point lower. So, Mark, did you have... Does not assist. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so on on a on a slightly different note, because I I think Anya Anya she's just we shall not talk of her again. We shall not she's her name has been stricken from the record. Um, Blade of Selves, man, I need to know what's up with Blade of Selves. Is it is it overhyped? Just the right amount of hyped? Is this is this thing worth playing in another deck? What's up, man? Uh, Blade of Selves would be amazing in another deck, <laughs> but we'll get okay. to that. <laughs> Uh, Blade of Selves is uh, a great card. No problem with that. But, um, yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah, we, we, we'll, no, don't worry, Mark. We will get to there. We'll get to that point. Yes. Okay. And now that we've talked about Kalimni, I'm going to insert Kalimni, Error's response to Kalimni, here. So the Kalimni deck was perhaps one of the more interesting um, and compelling uh, game states I think I've ever had. So... In playtesting against the other pre-cons, I did several different kinds of tests. So I did um, a pre-con test, I did a um, against real decks test, and then I just kind of did a little bit of 1v1 testing um, with some of the pre-cons, with some not pre-cons. So in the multiplayer pre-con versus pre-con test, um, this Calamity deck actually beat everyone else. Um, It won as many games as Mizzix. And that was shocking. And we'll, we'll attribute it to, to two things. So the first thing is that Kalemni is a beatdown. Uh, Double Strike Vigilance, 3-3, real thing. Um, her experience counter stuff is pretty much nonsense. Um, doesn't matter. As long as you can get some uh, some good equipment in this deck and do some other things, I think it will be a very good deck. That said, again, this is another build-me-around kind of thing. Um, I, I think that this is... Probably just a bunch of stuff that they put in so that people could really try to enjoy this deck and, and get some cards that they didn't have before. Um, you know, specifically Blade of Selves. That's something that everybody's kind of po- pointing and looking at. It's a $13 card right now, according to what I'm reading. Um, I think that this is something that this is what people are looking at when they look at this deck. Um, the total price on uh, for a paper copy apparently is like $100. I, I think that that's kind of insane. Um, but that Blade of Cells is kind of driving the price up. And I don't think if Blade of Cells isn't in this deck, I don't think people would be buying it in general. Um, so let's let's 
talk a little bit more about Calumny. So Calumny is probably the reason that this deck will win the game because early on it can force Raz, it can force cards out of people's hands, and um, you know the the mana cost is actually pretty aggressive, actually really aggressive. And being able to also play on defense with Calumny and Double Strike, pretty favorable. Um, I I took a crap on this card because the flavor is terrible. Uh, I don't I I still don't enjoy it. However, I think she's still not not the worst. Um, let's see. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed this deck. Um, I actually got a, won one of the games that that Kalemny won, and in that game I actually got to play Anya, my favorite Russian mail order bride. And um, I, it was a three player matchup, and I'd actually gotten to a point where um, Anya was a ten ten indestructible. So I did get the did live the, the big Timmy dream with Anya, and she did wreck face pretty hard. This card, I think Anya in the deck is probably just I actually enjoy Anya more than I liked Kalemny. Um, and I, I, don't, I can't tell you really what it is because I don't think Anya's even, I think she's a little bit better maybe, um, but I think Kalemni is still powerful enough to be a really good commander um, in 1v1 in multiplayer um, and simply because that mana cost is so low. Um, it's actually lower than you really think it is. Uh, and it's, it's, that's an interesting thing to talk about considering that the other Boros generals that are worth anything are, you know, like six and seven um, in Aurelia and Gisela. Um, so seeing Gisela as a reprint was really nice, by the way. I, I really like that. But I think my favorite reprint is Jareth Leon in Titan. So this is um, the old Pit Fighter from Onslaught. Uh, he got a cat. He's a cat giant, and he got a reprint um, with the new border. And this is something that I pl- this is a deck I played against a long time, and I've I've really enjoyed um, my battles with with Jareth. So uh, let's see. As far as other cards in this deck, there's really the funny part and sad part about it is it's kind of like Marath a lot. I think you really only want to cast Calumny. You really only want to cast maybe one other big thing like your Sun Titan or your Inferno Titan, which you have both, which was super sweet. Um, Ride of the Raging Storm was meh. I, I you know I, I get that this is like a card and people think it's fun. I ended up killing somebody with their own Ride of the Raging Storm by killing the enchantment after I got the token. So. Um, I think that there's a, you know, there's sort of a bite me in the butt clause with regards to that card. Uh, yeah, overall, I just, I thought that this deck has some big haymakers that you get to throw. So if you like haymaking, um, this will let you make some hay for a lot. So Calumny deck, pretty cool. I'm looking forward to playing this Oreskos Explorer. I think that that's probably the card of choice here in this deck. Uh, Magus of the Wheel was pretty meh as expected. Um, surprise card is... The Confluence. I really thought that this Red Confluence was going to be kind of bad. I, I I didn't know really what to think, to be honest. And I was keeping an open mind, and I ended up actually winning a game, uh, the game that I won with Clemney, because I was able to deal six damage to my opponents with two double red. So, really cool card. Uh, I'm, I'm planning on playing this in Heartless Hidat Sugu. I, th- I just think it's dumb. Um, it's crazy powerful, and uh, it's going to it's gonna probably drop into 2DH even as well, and I think that it'll be fun. So... Uh, that's my assessment on Alright, so then, Rebel Aaron, what did you think of the Azuri deck? Alright, so, I don't think I'm gonna be in the minority here on my opinion when I say that I think the Azuri, Claw Progress, Swell the Host, Commander 2015 Precon is probably the worst one of the bunch. Um, just in the way that it was designed, and I think it was done like that on purpose. If you read Sam Stoddard's Designing C15 article, um, which is AKA just an apology letter um, that he wrote to us uh, 
about certain cards and in the past and things like that and the fact that hey we're still learning too uh kind of deal you'll see that there was there was a lot of stuff talked about with with the zuri specifically you'll see that he said Cassetto and, and Azuri were supposed to be um, creatures that you're supposed to build a deck around, and this deck's supposed to get better as you play, which is cool, um, but it, it definitely wasn't going to be great out of the box. So when I tested it out, I found that to be pretty much the case. Nobody that I um, played with, uh, play tested with, liked this deck. Um, playing against it um, and playing with it, it was it was just a very weird hodgepodge of things. If you look at this mana curve here, um, I'm using MTG Goldfish right now to look at the mana curve. When you look at the creature count, um, you've got like three or four creatures that are under three mana. Um, actually, five total. So you have Sakura Tribe Elder, Plax Manta, Elvish Visionary, Coiling Oracle, and Experiment One. So these four guys need to be in your opening hand, or you're pretty much screwed on turn five. Like, not even it's not even close. Um, you really have to have some good stuff, because when you cast Azuri on turn four... Most of the time, if it doesn't get removed, you need to be able to get at least two experience or two experience counters so that you can start taking things up. Uh, it's a real, real rough game, um, and it was pretty annoying. I, I did not like that part of of playing Azuri. However, there were a couple of games where I got to Magical Christmas Land where I got you know maybe six, maybe seven uh, counters on him, and it was pretty good. Uh, the the one game where I think the deck did the best, I ended up finishing, you know, I ended up getting eliminated, but I did have 12 counters, uh, 12 experience counters. So pretty good if you know what you're doing. But again, you're literally kind of gaining experience counters as you're playing these decks simply because you're having to create a, um, and figure out a way to play all this hodgepodge of cards together because it's not something that you built, um, which is, is definitely something that happens. And, uh, you know, the learning curve wasn't wasn't so bad here. I, let's see, what else can we talk about here? So I did not try Cassetto Orochi Archmage as a commander. Uh, reason for that, I just felt that the deck was going to run more smoothly if I if I went with Azuri, and I, I just tested it out as many times as I could. Um, had some other people test it out and give me some feedback too. They they thought it was great to have cards like Ewit. You know, it has some great stuff in it, but I think overall what you're going to find is that if you buy this straight out of the box, you're not going to be able to play it unless you do some editing. So... This is definitely one of those tinkerer decks, um, and I think that they did that on purpose. Uh, when you look at the design of some of these other decks, you'll you'll see that they they designed certain decks with certain things in mind. Uh, this is definitely one of them. Uh, so I don't really have any crazy plays. Um, there were some really bad, really dopey cards. A lot of them were instants. Um, Cobra Trap was probably the worst one of the bunch. Uh, this is a trap from Zendikar's original past where um you know if a non-creature permanent was under your control was destroyed you get to pay for cheaper but you get four woman green snakes i actually had that happen once uh i got to use it once it was pretty good with azuri out on the battlefield otherwise it was just straight hot garbage uh, mirror match and some of these other cards synthetic destiny this is a card i never wanted to have in my hand whatsoever uh, no matter how many times i saw it i just i wanted to merfolk loot it away honestly it was just so so bad um, just beyond bad. I, I can't tell you how bad it was, honestly. I, I felt like it was the worst. Um, let's see. So some of the other new cards. So Azurius Predation. Um, I never had success with this card. I thought it was going to be pretty bad. I know some people are excited about this. Um, again, I'm, I think it's kind of bleh. I think it's pretty bad. And I tried it. I don't like it. And I can officially say no. Just like the way that my mom made me eat vegetables. And I don't eat vegetables, so... 
Moving on, Arachnogenesis. So this is one mana too much, um, one colorless mana too much. I feel, even though it's a straight-up blowout, I get that you know it needs to cost three to be slightly remotely fair, but um, it just, I holding up three mana in this deck is not something you'd want to do. So you're, gonna, you're probably going to end up just dying, um, and, and that's a bummer. Uh, Scythe Claw was just fun to cast one time, and then I didn't do anything with it. So... Uh, Overall, thought Scythe Claw was pretty rough. This is the um, deal damage, um, quite a spike effect. Lose that player loses half his or her life. Um, slash Heartless Hit, super thing. One of the interesting things, so uh, we had talked about 41 lands being a, a whole lot in this deck, and Zoetic Cavern being you know kind of like a creature but also a land. Well, I was okay with it um, until like game two or three, and I drew like nothing but land. It was pretty rough. Great Oak Guardian. I actually really like this card. Uh, I thought I was going to like it. I like it even less in this deck. It's going to be really good in, in uh, I think it's in the other deck, uh, the other green, the green-black deck. It was very good in the green-black deck, really bad in here. So uh, there's that. Uh, Skullwinder. So I lost a game because I was playing this deck pretty poorly to Skullwinder, but I still like this card a lot. I like Snakes. I like Death Touch. I like Eternal Witness. It was It was a good one. Yeah, so overall, that was my experience with Azuri. I, like I said, it was a fun deck to play out of the box, but it wasn't powerful enough. I was always a turn behind, and even when I was a turn ahead, like there were other things that people could do to just straight up stop me. So I never really got off off the ground at all with this deck, and um, it was a little disappointing in that regard. But I did get to cast this Patasia Viper, which did make it um, worthwhile in, in the one game that I did uh, have great success with. <laughs> Insert Aaron here. <laughs> Man, I don't, I don't know. Like, I played against the Azuri deck quite a bit because that's what um, Balduvian Bears was playing, man. And John kicked my ass with that deck. <laughs> so, so, so tell us about said ass. Come on, Mark. Oh, so my tell God. Tell us all about said ass. <laughs> that was, oh, my God. All right, time for some bad beat stories. Quick. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um. So I don't. I don't remember how many games we played. We played a couple back to back. Um. Mostly just one on one with this one. And uh, John was playing the the Simic list. I meant to pick up the Simic list just on the side. Um. And I was kind of like holding off. And then after getting my ass kicked with it, I'm like, yeah, I should probably pick up this list. Because a, it's pretty fun. B, it's like Snake Tribal on the sly. Not even really on the sly. Like it's Snake Tribal. <laughs> snake Tribal. Um. Yeah. And also like, Izuri looks like he doesn't really do much. And his his uh, you know, his ability isn't exciting, but, you know, because it's, it's really just strong. Yeah, like it can make shit huge out of nowhere and then just start smacking you in the face. And when you get that and the, the, the first mate online, you know, Cassetto for two mana, make it so it can't get blocked. Um, You take a lot of damage. You take a lot of damage. So um, that that thing can be strong, and it's capable of doing some big swings out of nowhere, man. And also, it has the coolest one-off cards that you would never expect in this deck. Like, I, I fully had to stop playing for about a minute and catch my breath once John pulled out Ninja of the Deep Hours on me. Like, out of fucking nowhere in this deck, I'm like, what the... I, and I just lost it, man. It was awesome. Um, I also lost that game, by the way. Um, but... Like, exactly. It was hilarious, man. And, um, at one point, John had drawn approximately 60% of his library, um, off some of the cards in here. Like, he just had all the card draw. Like, 
I mean, as you do in a blue-green deck anyway, but it's just nuts, man. And they had some some sweet old cards, too, like Day of the Dragons in this deck. Day of the Dragons. What more do you need? I don't know. I need a copy. Of, that's what I need, Day of the Dragons. I Day want of the that. Dragons, man. That thing is awesome. Um, And also some of the new stuff, like Illusory Ambusher. Yo, pick up oh, Illusory Ambusher. That card is amazing. Like. <laughs> That that thing, uh, he drew, at one point, I want to say probably like 10 cards off that one card. So, that thing is sweet. Uh, I mean, it's got flash. It it draws you cards. Who gives a damn if it costs five? Like, that thing is worth playing. Um, there's a lot of really neat stuff in, in this deck. You know, we neat things that have a lot of synergy. Not necessarily on paper. Um, I mean, you can tell, like, some things are just good. Like, Trigon Predator is, like, just good. But Trigon Predator doesn't have the same kind of synergy that, say, like, you know, the cold-eyed Selkie has with, you know, like, um, uh, God, I forgot his damn name. Cassetto. Cassetto Orochi Archmage. So, um, and a bunch of other cool things. Like, it's All just right. cool, man. Well, what, what about Azuri? Azuri. Unexciting, really powerful. That's, yeah, I, that's can, it. I can agree with that. Uh, one of my friends built a Azuri list. He hasn't put Sage of Hours in it yet. Um, but... but... Yeah. It's kind of your normal Edric Weenies sort of build, except he uses Azuri to make things really big. So we had like a 2020 Trigon Predator one time. Um, he played a Fathom Mage and immediately put 10 counters on it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he had a Forgotten Agent, so he could put Azuri's counters on that, and then on his next up, he'd put them on Azuri and kill people with commander damage. He put in Bloodsport Thranax so that he could make his Thranax really big and then make everything else really big. I don't know if he put one of those in yet, but he probably will. He should. Yeah. I got smacked in the face with, like, I don't know, like a 12-12 lore-scale quaddle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, stuff just gets really big in this deck, like, out of nowhere. It's it's a lot of fun. Not to be yeah. on the receiving end, but, yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right. And then what did you say about Cassetto? You said Cassetto just got oh, sat Cassetto. on the sidelines. Uh, cause, yeah, but Cassetto, like, is a really good first mate for this deck, man, because I probably, even in, I mean, even, the, this is speaking as the guy who runs the snake deck, like, I run Snake Tribal with Shiro, um, and, like, I probably, I don't know, I mean, I guess if I wanted to stretch into, like, blue-green for snakes, which might be better, I don't know, but I feel like it's getting a little, I, I feel strangely purist about my mono-green snakes deck, like, but I guess that's a separate thing. Like, Cassetto, I probably wouldn't run as the, you know, the main card in the deck, but it does do an awful lot of work. Um, and, and I also forgot, I almost forgot to mention, like, one of my favorite cards in the deck, Caller of the Claw. Yo, Ooh, they put man. Caller of the Claw in this deck. Oh, the bears. And it was so appropriate that I was playing with Baldubian Bear. So. Surak wears bear skin and he gets yelled at. This person wears bear skin, so it's okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, so now that we've talked about the Ten Commanders, guys, how do you feel about experience counters in general? <laughs> experience counters on generals. <laughs> I think that the experience counter thing would be is is good for this is a good place for a test run for it. But I honestly would have liked to have seen other things in here that would have got a chance to use it outside of just those commanders. I agree. I mean, it's, it's kind of underutilized, to be honest. Yeah, it, yeah, so I'm saying it's like, you know, out of the, out of what is it, like close to 500 cards, only five of them ever actually really give a damn about the experience counters? Yeah, but I mean, they might expand on it in future things. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I have no problem with that. I, my, my view of it is, is that I think that the decks would have been, experience counters themselves would have been a little bit more of interest 
if we'd have gotten something else in the deck that cared about him. <laughs> not saying I'm expecting a lot of things. You know, like, say, for instance, out of each deck, if two cards in it, like a commander and, I don't know, like an enchantment or a creature or a spell, actually did something due to the number of experience counters you had, you know? Or, like, you know, maybe, like, an enchantment that helped bump up your experience counters or whatever. Something else. So this way it wouldn't just be like, oh, man, my commander's gone, and now I have these counters, and unless I put my commander back down, nothing's going to happen. Because... Mm-hmm. With Daxos, that's kind of how the deck worked, you know? Daxos is there. He cares about the experience counters because he gets them. But when he's gone, his tokens work perfectly fine with him, and that was probably the most fun I had with the experience counters because they meant something even when my commander wasn't there. But with, like, say, Kalimni, yeah, I have all these experience counters, but once Kalimni dies, you know, I just have a card with a bunch of counters on it that don't mean shit till I get her back. (laughs) Fair. To me, the experience counters are an incredibly potent mechanic. If, if, you, if you're playing one of those games where it seems like every time you try and get Marin to stick and people just kill her before you get to regrow anything, like we actually did have games like that where it's like, okay, everyone's on point and we're making sure that this person just never gets Marin, just never gets any value, just ever at all. And like, don't give me that, but you get it at the end of your turn. Yeah, that's what you get rid of her at the beginning of her, their second main phase, or combat, or anything like that. You know, Mizzix had a hard time sticking ar- around at times. Uh, Azuri, Daxos, Kalimna, they, they all had various points that I saw where they were having a hard time sticking to the board. But when they do stick to the board, those experience counters really push the game to be overpassed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, though. When they don't stick to the board, they're pretty much just like any other commander that you would have had, you know? You try to stick down your, I don't know, your Reese the Redeemed in your green-white tokens deck, and it just keeps getting killed. Yeah, it's basically the same thing you would have with any other commander. So I can't really say that's a downside to them. You know, like, you have a commander that has this ability that no one lets you get the ability off of. No, I'm not, I'm not saying it's... Well, get in line, because that happens to every commander with an ability. No, I'm not saying it's a downside either. Like, creatures die right. to removal. That's just a, a thing that happens. What I am <laughs> saying, though, is that the experience counters are, in fact, so powerful that as you actually get to scale with them, they just get that much stronger. Like, they're almost like Prosh or Marath in that respect. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Like, the experience counters themselves are good, but I would like to have seen something else here that could have at least... You know, kind of chance to use. Like, say for instance, I have uh, enchantment that has like an effect, like, re- um, like remove one experience counter from your, like, from your experience counter section or whatever. Like, remove, remove one experience counter, some amount of mana due to this effect. You know, and, and then I I'd have to balance, and I have to balance between whether or not I want to keep my experience counters for my commander or use them for this effect. Anything else that would have cared about the experience counters in the deck would have been of use as far as I was concerned. You really have to be careful with cards like that, though. Because then when you... Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that specific type of card or whatever, but you see what I'm... I'm just saying, like... I see see where you're coming from. I'm just saying, like, you have to be careful with how many command towers you want to make. Yeah, but, I mean, command beacon is kind of fucking broken. Like, and that's... (laughs) That's pretty cool, though. Like, I think you should push the envelope. I think you should make broken cards like that. Like, now every... Now... Oh, Christ, I'm going to forget the name of that stupid bird general I hate. But now every commander can be the bird general. Derevi? Yeah, Derevi. All right. Well, since we're at that point, let's go ahead and and wrap this up. Overall, guys, how did you feel about the commanders this year? The commanders overall this year are pretty good, except, like, the nine commanders that we've gotten, 
that are in their respective colors are fine. With the 10th commander, if it were a slightly different color, would have been acceptable. <laughs> Mark? Can we rank these? Like, now that we have four commander products, <laughs> like, as far as years go, like, I'm just curious where you guys would fall as far as, like, you know, of the four big commander releases we've gotten, where would they fall? Hi, right, well, go, we'll, go, we'll go ahead and start with you, Mark. How do you feel that these commanders would fall? I would say third. Third overall? Like, yeah. what would be what would be the first two for you? Uh, the first one, hands down, is the Commander 2014 product. Like, I thought those were awesome. Uh, the, All right. After that, I would say the original Commander products, and then this one. All right, so we got Planeswalker Commander product, Wedge Commander product, and then this one. Yep. Mm, fair. Let's you? see. Would I rank these Commanders over last year's? No, last year's would obviously be better. Yeah. Would I rank these Commanders over the year before that? I would probably pull, like, a good coin flip because uh, when me and William got a chance to talk about the previous year's product, all, all four years so far had kind of fallen into a very similar suit of, here's the one deck nobody wants. Here's a deck that <laughs> everybody wants. Here's the other decks and how they kind of fall in. And here's the one deck out of those other decks that no one thought was good at first, but turned out to be pretty good. And all, all four years so far have fallen into that segment with at least, you know, Almost consistency. Like, you know, like, this is the kind of consistency you would expect from, like, a uh, standard. Mm. But in the same token, what I, these, the, the decks overall, I would not rank them better than last year's. Last year's was just much, much better. Even, like, <laughs> the weaker deck from last year would still be considered probably better than the deck that I got. And, uh, let's see. The year before that, uh, yeah, I would probably, I, I, I don't know. You want like last year's is obviously the well, top Calvin, one. Well, Calvin, how about this? How about we go ahead and hold this off until after we've actually talked about the decks themselves? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, let's do that. All right. So, at, uh, the commanders themselves, overall, I feel pretty good about these. There's some funky ones in there, but I think this is a good group of guys. Yeah. And girls. And girls. And bugs. I use. I'm using guys in the sense that we use the royal Wii. <laughs> the Wii Wii. All right. So now that we talked about the commanders, we're going to go ahead. Hey, what about me? I thought you already got in. Did you? No. Clay, how do you feel about these commanders? I, okay. Um, I wasn't around for the very first commander set, but from what I've heard, they were pretty wonky as far as the decks go. Um, Not the decks, Clay, the commanders. Commanders. Just the commanders. Okay. Um, I think, let's see. As far as the commanders go, I have a hard time figuring out, like, which ones are the best. I think, um, as far as just the commanders, as far as, like, um, build-around-me-ness, I'm pretty sure the original commander set is still pretty consistent for, like, how many of those commanders are still played and how many are playable and good. Um, That's true. Whereas when I look at the 2013 and the 2014 products, they're really only, like, okay, let's see. In terms of number of commanders that are still played of the first three sets, I would have to say the original, and then um, 2013, and then 2014. Just because, like, the number of times I've seen Duretti, there's a lot of Durettis, but I have rarely ever seen a Frail... I've seen Duretti and, Fr- and Nahiri, but I've rarely ever seen Obnixilis or Frailis or Teferi. Um, Fair. But you very often see Prosh, Marath, and Derevi running around. Um, I guess time will tell. But I, yeah. Um, but 
I think all of the commanders in this one are solid for the most part. Some of the secondaries are a little iffy, but it's a really solid set. Alright, so now that that's all gotten done, we're going to look at the actual decks. Stay tuned everyone, we'll be right back. <laughs> oh man, I am now suited. I am ready to discuss this deck. Well, Ooh, then, am I ready to rip this bitch apart? So now we can actually talk about the commander decks. You guys ready? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I've got my roll of toilet paper right here. Cause I'm about <laughs> to shit all over this thing. <laughs> So now that we talk about the commanders, let's look at the decks themselves. You know, we're gonna look at we're gonna look at the value of the reprints, some of the newer cards in it, kind of how we feel they are for newer players. Because remember, these are precons for newer players. Which Clay has actually provided us with a actually Clay, can you put that link into the chat for the individual deck values on Goldfish? Oh yeah. Because like I actually really like I'm looking at the sets, but I don't have the link. Okay. So Clay actually just gave us a link to the 2015 deck list that had the different values of the decks, and that's actually a really handy tool. And I was watching Tolarian Academy, and these decks actually just do have good value in them. If you're talking about just, like, monetary-wise, like, the black-white one, you know, if you wanted to get everything just individually, it would cost you about $75. Considering that you're getting this for a $35 deck, that's actually not bad. Like, there's not a whole lot of money cards in there, like, high-dollar stuff outside, like, the Commanders. But considering that most of these are, like, dollar-rare type things, you actually do get some good bang for your buck. And I think that's pretty uniform throughout all the decks. Yeah. I could actually build the online version of this deck for $17, so, huh. I know what I'm doing tomorrow. Well, you know, obviously, this this correlates to value, too, in another way, because Wade Into Battle is the most valuable deck, and I think we've already established it's the most valuable deck overall. So, Okay, so let's go ahead and start looking at decks and start talking about them. Daxos deck. Daxos gets his experience counters off of enchantments. So, it goes without saying that we have an enchantment-based deck. It actually comes with 21 enchantments, not including the enchantment creatures. So, what did I think of it? I think this was a deck that wanted to be Voltron. This deck was trying to be Dark Cigar or Darth Cigarda. That's what it's trying to be. Like, Darth Cigarda. Like I've actually tried. I've actually built that deck before with with uh, Selenia, the angel that bounces back to your hand for two life. Yeah. And I, I liked it okay. Like I also tried it with New T- with uh, Big Tasa. And again, I liked it all all right. But that wasn't really what I wanted this deck to be. Like, I was hoping for something that was more reanimation or tokeny, something something like that. And that's kind of actually what I'm building the new Daxos deck off of. I'm building off of the idea that I want it to be a token reanimator deck with the toolbox of enchantments to get that job done. And I'm liking what I'm getting so far. The deck that it came with, it's actually a really fine deck. But the problem that I keep running into is that it wants to be a Voltron deck. Because it comes with, like, your Night Howler and your Ghostblade Eidolon and your, oh, what, let's see, what was it? It was, like, a, the Celestial Archon. Uh, yeah, Celestial Archon. So, you actually, actually, you, um, I almost did get their on-commander damage with someone just from loading stuff onto Daxos. And that's not a bad way to go about it. I get the feeling that you're actually supposed to start augmenting, like, his spirits. 
Mm-hmm. I, I could go, okay, make a four four spirit. Uh, we're gonna bestow a guy on it now that the now the spirit's a five five, and now he also has a plus four plus four flying first strike, <laughs> which is actually really awesome. You know, actually, I might have. I'm probably gonna end up trying that out online because I feel like that's what the general idea was supposed to be. If you want to switch over to Tesa, then that actually works fine too because she's actually a very good Voltron target. Like she's got that no mercy effect stable to her. She has the vigilance. She's unblockable because she has protection from creatures. So Tesa would probably be a lot better if you just want to swap that around for what the deck actually is. The deck would actually be very easy to swap over to a control build as well. Like all you have to do is get some more instant speed interaction there. Like the um, uh, what what was it? The ensnare thing that just came out in Battle for Zendikar. What was it? Archive Snare, Archive Trap. Oh, let's see, what was it? I'm looking through my cards right now. What does it do? It was the three mana... Stasis and... Snare. Stasis Snare, there you go. Like, the whole time I was playing the deck, I was like, this deck just really, really wants a Stasis Snare. <laughs> so, I actually really like this deck quite a bit. In terms of reprints, like, they have some really awesome reprints in here. Phyrexian Reclamation is a long-standing favorite of mine. Uh, they got both of the seals in there. They got, they got Disenchant Seal, they've got Doomblade Seal... Karmic Justice, Black Market, those are some really awesome reprints to see. Some that are also kind of money before we saw this set come out. I don't like Underworld Connections. I really don't. Like, just. Really? I get that it's kind of like a Phyrexian Arena that you can use, but I don't like having to use a land to get that effect, especially when I'm playing Black White and I don't have a lot of ramp to begin with. Hmm. Uh, the Aura of Silence is also really brilliant. It's just, you know, just, it's, in terms the of... The card is just insane. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of really good things in here. But more along the lines of the Voltron stuff, like, Fallen Ideal is a really cool enchantment, but again, Voltron-y, the vows are in there, which, political stuff, but they would also be good on the whole Voltron thing. The Enchantress aspect was also strong. Like, they've got Johnny's, uh, what was it, Johnny's Chosen? Yeah, it's not alphabetical, why? they got Johnny's Chosen, Mesa Enchantress, Sigil of the Empty Throne, like, I, this really is just Darth Sagarda. And on one level, that's cool. Like, okay, this is actually a deck that I would actually build. Like, everything here falls within my price range. There's not a lot in here that I couldn't just reach over and pull out of my toolbox right now. But that's also kind of a problem, because what I was looking for was something to try and take black-white in a direction I hadn't tried before. So Daxos does do that. Daxos has inspired me to build a new deck to try that blends everything I want together. The deck itself, though, was not com- particularly compelling for me. Now, so, some of the suggestions I do have for this are actually some things I'm really tickled by. Like, for one thing, this is a deck where you can just stick in stuff like Vampiric Rites, Land Tax, you know, just more small enchantment-type stuff to really get you through. Mm. The one I'm most excited about for, though, is Skybind. <laughs> Skybind. <laughs> Skybind, the five-mana white enchantment from Journey into Nyx. It has Constellation. Whenever Skybind or another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, exile target non-enchantment permanent. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So let's think about this for a second. We have a commander who instant speed spits out enchantments. So I can go, my turn, spit out an enchantment, uh... Maybe we'll blink out a blocker. On your turn, we'll spit out enchantment, remove your really big guy for the turn so you can't swing with it, or get rid of one of your combo pieces for the turn during your upkeep, or end of your turn, I'll spit out, or main phase or whatever, 
I'll block with my token producer, spit out an enchantment, flicker, blink it out, and then when it comes back in, like my Captain of the Watch or my Cloud Goat Ranger, my Night Captain of Eos, you know, just a lot of the army and the can type creatures, they'll, yeah. they'll bring more buddies with them. Like, I actually met, finally got a copy of Sanger Autocrat because of, the, of this wombo combo I've got going. Like, some of the other stuff, I, I'm going to admit, I'm not looking forward to answering the judge questions that come up when I play Starfield next with the gods. <laughs> but there's so much enchantment recursion in this deck now because of Starfield next. You know, I get to play Angelic Renewal to bring back one of those guys. Like, I can go ahead and sack my cat to the watch, then sack the Angelic Renewal to bring her back. That's a lot of stupid value. The, the Oromancer, I'm surprised, wasn't in there. They, I, the monk, let's see, was it Idealist Monk or Monk Idealist? Yeah, Idealist. Yeah, I'm super excited to have that now because I basically have Oromancer number two. Well, surprise, Oromancer number two wasn't in there to begin with. Hmm. You know, we got some more Oblivion Rain type effects. We've got your dictates. The Dark Prophecy might actually be fine here, but I think the aspect that I'm secondly most excited for is the fact that I'm finally finding a place to put the Requiem Angel Field of Souls engines, because I've got my Sacred Mesa in there, because, hey, Sacred Mesa is an enchantment that spits out Pegasus tokens, and I have to sack those Pegasus tokens. Well, let's go ahead and get some value out of them and turn the spirits. And, oh, by the way, we have Spirit Bonds. So now, Daxos can, at instant speed, pay five mana to protect himself from a, a, a Doomblade or a Wrath Effect, because as we all know, someone's playing Blinds here and turned their Doomblade into something that can turn, kill Daxos. That's how we kill the logic holes. Uh, that wouldn't work anyway, unless you have a redirection. I'm making up shit as I go along. I know you are. <laughs> but no, Spirit Bonds and Skybind are probably the two most exciting cards for me in this build. Because again, I can pay five mana to just make Daxus indestructible for a turn. And that's a really powerful effect to have. True. So, guys, did you have any thoughts on the black-white deck? Or any, and any suggestions that you would put into it? I have not had a chance to play with or against the stock black-white deck. So, I have no comment. I was psyched to see the Doomwake Giant is in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That there, dude can get really oppressive. Especially he can be. I just... I don't. I he, I don't know if he's gonna make the final cut though. Really? What, what else would you use for like a like a value board wipe, man? I don't know. Like I want to put him in the deck, but the beta ver- but the like alpha initial draft list I have right now doesn't have enough room for him. So I mean, don't don't use like my particular recommendation for this because like he's in my Ramsey's Overdark Derpy Enchantment deck, so like he's in my the, like a Derpy Aura deck, so no. I've yet to win a game with that deck. Now that it's just now that I'm building the deck from the ground up. There are so many cards I want to put in this build because of Daxus's instant speed enchantment shenanigans. I mean, would you put, um, oh god, who's the mono white god? Helios? I mean, he makes, does, does he not make Heliod. instant speed? He yeah, makes Heliod. enchantment tokens. Yeah, is it instant speed enchantment tokens? Yeah. yeah. Like for, for four mana? Would you put him in the deck? I actually would. I mean, I guess that that kind of serves your your purpose, right? Like, he's he farts out tokens, he's an indestructible enchantment. Um, I mean, I don't know. Seems pretty cool. I love that they put Karmic Justice in here, too. Oh, yeah. God, I love that. That thing is just, oh, it's so just brutal. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that, you know, I'm just putting out a bunch of tokens there. Like, there's the Dictative Arrows. There's the uh, the Martyr's Bond. There's so many great Pacty type effects. The Whip of Erebos. Uh, that, that was another one that just desperately needed to be in this deck from the Precon build, was the Whip. I kept playing it. I was like, God, I wish I had a whip. 
Like, I'm, it's ironic I'm, that the life gain was not in the white black deck. Yeah, and like, not even a true convention. <laughs> it like, shows yeah. up, it brings creatures from the graveyard, gives you some life. When you have a commander that loves enchantments and another commander that loves where, graveyards, where was the true conviction? Like this deck just wanted a true conviction. True conviction is one of those white rares that they'll throw into any white precon, but it wasn't in this one. <laughs> yeah, they missed out on that one. So what do you think of the deck, Calvin? Uh, I would say that this is one of the decks that I, after playing with, I could easily see being ripped in half and then divided into two separate mono black, uh, into two separate black white decks that could easily be played for fun and shenanigans that would play totally different from each other. It's just one of those things where, like, I looked at it, it's like, you know what, these two commanders are cool. But you know what? I could easily just see myself building a white-black Soul Sisters deck and completely disregarding Daxos altogether. But I can also see taking the cards I took out of the deck from Daxos and just building another side deck. And my intentions are now, is like, now that I have the actual black-white deck, I was thinking potentially of ripping them apart anyway and then using one half of the deck to build, like, a nice um, Mardu deck. Hmm. But I'm trying to figure out which deck, which half should go into the Mardu section. Yeah. Like, if you're trying to just modify the deck from how it is right now, if you're going to take it into either a Voltron or a Control route. If you want to try something else, you're going to have to start from scratch. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, as far as, like, my view of it is this. Like, with the lifelink stuff and the black-white lifelink and things like that, yeah, I could put that into a Mardu deck and... I wouldn't get the life gain that Red has, because Red doesn't really do that. But I can get a little bit more aggressive, because they don't have all this stuff in the deck that's assisting me with gaining the life. And then I have my Red section to help me reduce your life, and the Black to help me reduce your life. But then if I went with the enchantments, then I could easily see Daxos. I would love to see Daxos next to, like, a Hammer of Perforos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Just, like, just using, like, all the other, like, Red, like, you know, Daxos next to Perforos himself. Just cast, just using Daxos just to put enchantment creatures into the battlefield for Perforos just to be like, hey, look, it's a dude. Burn people. Hey, look, it's a dude. Burn people. So, I will say that as far as like the other 99 goes, the Grasp of Fate was really impressive. Hmm. Three mana, put out an Oblivion Ring that targets three things. (laughs) One from each person. It actually was just good. And then you can go ahead and turn into a creature. Then you can sack it and then bring it back for stuff. Although you can't do the permanent exile thing because it's not a really... It's banishing light, not a living ring. But still. All right. So let's move on to the next deck. Clay, tell us about this blue-red monstrosity. Well... Of value. (laughs) It was a lot of fun right out of the box. Um, I got to play with most of the cards that ended up in it. But one thing that I'm really glad about is just kind of how... They left it open-ended on what sort of direction you want to take the deck, because not only did they add in some X spells so people could get used to how Mizzix interacts with those, but they also just put in some stuff that steals stuff. And my friend Josh built a Mizzix deck where it's literally just blue-red, I'm going to steal your shit. Um, And so with all those different effects in here, especially with like active aggression, being able to cast that for free... um, by paying for life, is really sweet. Um, I will say that most of the creatures in there you could easily do without, because they're kind of... There's only 14 creatures. Eh? I know, I know, and that's that's the thing. It's a blue-red deck. You shouldn't 
have to have creatures. Um, like, Goblin Electromancer seems kind of redundant, um, just because Mizzix already does that <laughs> on a much larger scale. Um, Gigantoplasm can fit into the I'm going to copy your stuff. Uh, Talrand and Malek just kind of give you more value off of what you're already getting value for. Um, and I find it really interesting that they added in Firemind's Foresight into this deck, because with the deck as it is out of the box, there really isn't that much you can grab with it mm. as far as options. Like, your best bet would probably be, like, Brainstorm, Comet Storm, Stroke of Genius. But the deck was a lot of fun. Um, I was playing one-on-one against Marin out of the box against my friend Matt, and at one point I cast... Um, let's see, what what did I cast? It was something that, it was a chain reaction, that's what it is, that's in this deck. Um, and in response to, he had Marin and like eight other creatures out. So chain reaction was going to kill everything on the board, so I'm like, okay, red, red, cast chain reaction. In response, I'm going to cast, I'm going to pay blue, blue and cast reins of power. We're going to exchange our creatures. Chain reaction will resolve, everything will die, Marin will trigger for me. And I will get a shit ton of experience counters that you do not get anymore. Um, so yeah, lots of fun. And they added in some really cute reprints like Dominate. Um, let's see, what's, what's some other stuff in here? Blatant Thievery, which is literally just, I'm gonna take a permanent from everyone else. Um, we got a cool new Spelljack effect, or Commandeer effect. That's just you gain control of target spell. Mystic Confluence is probably the most bonkers thing out of this deck. Um, Mystic Confluence, the first time I cast it, uh, we had added in my friend who was playing Karthus. And so he had Karthus on the table, and he tapped out to cast Hellkite Charger. And I was like, well, let's see. Blue, blue, because I had Mystics on the board. Uh, mana leak your Hellkite Charger, bounce your Karthus, I draw a card. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a lot of cool stuff. Um... I decided not to keep it built as what it is out of the box. But there's a lot of cool things in here, lots of different directions you can take the deck, which I think is really good for a precon that they didn't focus in too much on one individual theme. Um, because even Arjun has more usefulness in this deck than I think Karlov has in Daxos's deck. And we also got a, uh, a Viper that has Myriad that draws a card when he hits a player. In this one. How was that? Um, I never got to have it swing at more than one person, but it was pretty sweet. Um, especially since, for some reason, they added in Rogue's Passage and the deck, which makes absolutely no sense except for Psychosis Crawler bashing people in the face. Like, that's probably the weirdest land choice that they could have put in here. But I did get to have Birth, Brood Birth Viper go in and hit people without fear of it dying. So... How did you feel about this deck, just in terms of how it played versus what you wanted? It played pretty much how I thought it would play. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of specific comments here, but the effects did what they did. Um, as long as Mizzix was on the table, everything was really cheap and got some really good value out of it. Um, I'm glad that they added in the X spells to make the value even higher late game. I think Call the Skybreaker was the most ridiculous card that I didn't expect in the deck, um, because it costs five and then two is it hybrid. It makes a five five with flying and it has retrace. So really late in the game, it was just like, okay, I'm gonna cast um let's see, I'm gonna cast Stroke of Genius, targeting myself for blue, and I'm gonna draw ten cards. 
And then any of the lands that I draw, I'm just going to pay blue, blue, and turn it into a 5-5. Five, five. Hmm. And I just made armies and armies and armies of 5-5s five, and beat everyone down with them. Hmm. Right of the Raging Storm was also really funny, especially in one-on-one, because I was basically like, I'm going to hit you for 5 every turn, and unless you find an answer, you're just going to die. So, Mark, Calvin, did you have anything you had to say on this? Uh, I actually didn't even get a chance to play against the uh, the blue-red. Look kind of neat, though. <laughs> I personally haven't had a chance to play it either. It is on my list of um, pickups, though. I've gotten out of the five decks three of them, and the blue-red one is the next one I'm getting, so. Cool. Kind of oh. wish I had that one over this one, though. <clears throat> Just saying. All right, then. So, Mark, you're up. Two. All right. Um, I know I covered a lot of stuff in, in my review of Marin. It was supposed to be my review of Marin. Um, but I think if we're looking at this from like a, a straight up precon, like you do not have any other commander decks or you're getting, you're new to commander. Um, I think the Marin deck is a pretty good, is a pretty good buy. I mean, you got a lot of cool, sweet role players. You know, you got your Sakura tribe elders, you got your eternal witness. Like what would a commander player be without eternal witness? Um, <laughs> You got a lot of neat little value stuff. Stuff you can, I, there's also like the obviously toss out. Like I mentioned it before, like the first thing you gotta do is just take Blood Baron, just, just straight rip it up. Pretend you're playing Iron Man and just toss that sucker right out. Um, there's a couple others in there, but like, I, I think overall, you know, you can go, it's kinda like Clay said, you, they didn't, they didn't go for just one straight strategy. Like I'm not gonna keep this deck together either. I think what I'm gonna do is, uh, I'm gonna make, I'm going to do the return of the stacks deck and I'm going to do a Golgari stacks build with Marin. Um, cause that's just going to be fun to do like a toolboxy stacks graveyard. Just people are just going to hate me for playing this deck. Cause I mean, Blood Baron is coming out and Smokestack is going right in. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun to just murder people's tables and just have no one have any permanence. So, um, but you know, looking over the, the rest of the list, uh, I really liked it. I mean, for, for what it is, you know, it's, it's pre-con, but like you said, like you get some value. Yeah, Eldrazi Monument, which wasn't hard to find before, but it was sweet that it got a, uh, uh, reprint here. Uh, you get Skull Clamp, you obviously get your Soul Rings, whatever. Um, and you get part of the Ladyfinger suite. So, you know, it's something. Um, or actually, no, I take it back. You don't even get the Ladyfinger suite in here. You get the Ladyfinger suite in the damn Daxos deck. Never mind. Um, but I do like, I mean, Sever the Bloodlines kind of sweet. Like, Exile effects in black are rare. Um, that was not bad. I already talked about how awesome I think Primal Growth was. I love that sometimes precons will just bring back stuff that you forget about. Like, Ambition's Cost is in this deck. I just forgot Ambition's Cost was a card, you know? <laughs> like, I just, I, I pull that and I'm like, man, I really like, I just like Commander. Cause sometimes you just pull that crap. Um, Wood Elves is in this deck. I have an unnatural love for Wood Elves. Like, I know it's just a 1-1 a one, one for 3 that gets you a forest, but it's an untapped forest, and I don't know, that just makes it awesome. So, I mean, you can, it's got Kessit's Cage Breakers, if you want to just fart out lots of tokens. Um, Phyrexian Plague Lord, like I said, first time I ever got to cast it, and then I cast it like 18 times in the game, if I cast it once. Uh, Voltress Zombie is in here, if you want to go, like, the, the mill route. Um... I, Thief of Blood was amazing, just like I thought it was going to be. So, especially when I was playing against the Simic deck, um, that was good. I like that. Um, <laughs> I never got to play Scourge of Neltoth, 
I mean, it never even showed up. It never even oh. showed up in my graveyard. I know. Like, but I was it, really looking forward to that. It's a, it's a zombie dragon, though. I know it's a zombie dragon that's in the damn commander's tribe or clan or whatever the hell it is, man. I was really disturbed about that. Um, but I did get to play Butcher Malakir once or twice, and that that card is sweet. So that one is staying in there for for the stacks Ooh. build. You Butcher Malakir is always good. Yeah. You know what this thing oh. needs? Moriak replica. Mm. I, yep, I, that one's in my it, that's in my list, man. Like, I, while you guys were talking before, I, I kind of made a, a a rather large list of uh, stuff you should add to this deck. Um, but that's that's definitely one. I mean, if there's there's a couple things, a couple categories actually, I think it's really weak on, and I'm not not surprised because it's a precon. Like, it's weak on card draw, <laughs> it's weak on removal, and it's pretty weak on mana too. Like, just different ways to to get mana. There's no real I mean, there's kind of rampy-like things in the deck. I mean, Primal Growth is amazing, but you only got one, right? Like, Mulch is pretty good, too. Um, but, again, it's it's all right. You know, you get Seder Wayfinder, which is definitely one of my faves. You got Sakura Tribe Elder and Wood Elves. And then after that, eh. So, um, I, I mean, especially for Green-Black, like, I, I was expecting a bit more ramp. Like, there were definitely times when I wish I... I had more mana to do what I wanted to, like just one or two more. Ma- I wouldn't go go deep on it, um, but like I said, I still think it's a crime that Black Market was not in this deck. So, <laughs> just saying. Let me tell you what I think is a crime that wasn't in that deck. Any card that had Dredge on it, any creature that had Dredge on it, would have been amazing here. Like just Life in the Loam, you know, something. No, 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 no. no I wouldn't. I wouldn't even want to go with Life in the Loam. I would have gone with. I would have gone with like what was it? Uh, Golgari brown scale. Any creature <laughs> with any creature with dread on it, I would have been perfectly fine with. Right, because because I mean, Marin would have been like, hey, I don't have any experience counters, and that thing costs three. Put it back in your hand. Why? Thank you. I am now going to dredge this bad boy away. Get me some stuff. So, like, oh, it's not the oh, back in my hand. Oh, 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 you've got counters. Oh, cool. You can put it back on the field. Great. Oh, damn. Marin, it died. That's okay. Put it back in your hand. Or I at least have the option to be like, at the end of my turn, I'm just going to mill some stuff, put some more creatures in the graveyard, get this back to my hand. Okay, just, well, just, you're, Calvin, you're right, man. I mean, just, one just, of the cards just you should... Just one dude. <laughs> I, see, I would go, like, if my one dude, if I was going to pick one dredge card, Stinkweed Imp. Man, no, I love that little if I had, if I, if, if I, No, I'm saying, like, if I had the option to pick any card to go in it, hell yeah, I'd have picked, like, a whole bunch of other creatures that have gone in there just because, you know, Dredge would have been amazing in this deck. And Stinkweed Imp would have gone in there. Life from Alone potentially would have been in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Let's see what other cards I got here that's got Dredge on them. Oh, you know, <laughs> he, 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 I, 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 I take a Shambling Shell. Like three mana for a three one with I would play a shambling shell. I would take that, Mm -hmm. and then I could just sack him and put a counter on the field because you know, Marin be like, oh, my creature died. Boom, experience counter. Hey man, you put it on if you if you did that and put it on Bloodspore Thrinax, then he would just keep getting bigger every time. So I'm down with that. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Like, like I'm, and I'm not saying I'm asking for the best dredge creatures. I would have expected at least like one or two just to kind of like tickle the fancy of the player. 
to get them like, oh, so this card can just keep coming back and I can draw cards off of it if I need to. Mm-hmm. But if I don't, I can get it onto the battlefield to be able to re-sacrifice it. And if, it, and if I don't have the ability to get on the battlefield, she's just going to give it back to me at the end of the turn anyway, which I can then use for discard or for this. Or, yeah, like it would have been like that thing that could have dragged. She seems like the perfect commander to helm a, dre- a green-black Golgari dredge deck. Hell, even yep. like those creatures with uh, fucking scavenge, they would have been decent in there as well, because even if you don't scavenge them to put the counters on stuff, you at least have the option to know, like, you know, you could just get them back, or you could just discard them or play them, and then once it gets to the point where they're too small to affect the field, yeah, now you can just start exiling them and making other stuff on the field a little bit bigger. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Fair. So, Calvin? Yes? It's time. Oh, it's time. Oh, it's finally time. It's my time to shine and <laughs> go ahead and just go right on. <clears throat> okay. Soapbox alert. Well, before I go on to that, uh, I'm gonna start the. De- I'm gonna start off by talking about the deck's biggest um, nombo, and that is uh, Arbinder of Notridge of No Road, No Ridge or whatever it is. Yeah, that giant wizard, the five five that costs seven mana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that guy is probably one of the worst giants you could possibly put into um this particular deck. You're telling me yeah. you you have Anya, a, a a legendary creature whose sole ability outside of being a five a, a five mana four four flyer is the fact that she wants somebody there to have a low life point that's less than half of their starting total. Now if I'm still at forty and Mark is down to ten I have a seven mana five creature, a, a seven mana five five giant. I can no longer play because the moment I do, <laughs> if anyone's life total is over twenty one, <laughs> Anya instantly drops <laughs> right back into her low ranking four four spot. And then on top of that, the deck itself has creatures in it that enter the battlefield do two damage to all creatures. It's got like the uh, uh, board wiping, like, meteor blast-like effects. It does creatures and players. It's got Inferno yeah, right. Titan. It's got Thundercloud Shaman. All these things where it just, like, hits everything, right? And you're gonna yeah. give me the one white card that could literally undo everything the entire deck has been trying to do since turn one. But he gives you experience counters. Experience counters, sir, that I did not ask or want from him. <laughs> so that, so with that out the way. Let me just quickly break down the key problems with this deck. Now, granted, when the deck is working, it works perfectly fine. The whole premise for the deck is you're supposed to get some early turn mana rocks, play them down, ramp yourself up to like five, six, or seven, and then just start throwing down the fattest creatures you could possibly find, right? But the problem yeah. with this particular deck is, is that um, one out of all the lands that's in it, about one-third of them come in tapped. So... Here's basically how the deck really plays. Turn one, play a land, tapped. Turn two, play a, a basic land that's not tapped. Wait, because I have a whole bunch of mana rocks in here whose converted mana cost is like either two or three, so I kind of have to potentially wait till turn three to, on average to cast my mana rock. Top deck my next land, every land I have from this point forward, two out, one out of every three of them is coming in tapped. So turn three, I might not even drop that mana rock. I drop it on turn four, but I don't want to play it on turn four because I want to play Kalimni on turn four. Okay, fine. I cast Kalimni, but now I have no mana to play the 5-5 five five on turn five. I have no mana to play the 6-6 six six on turn six or anything on turn seven. So now I drop the mana rock. Now, say, for instance, 
I have this, but I've just gone literally about six turns, seven turns. I haven't done anything. Nothing. I haven't raft aboard. I haven't murdered a creature. I haven't packed to exile anything. I've done nothing for roughly six turns and cast one three three creature. Fair. That's so, not a way to win. Right. Like, so one, yeah. So the land base here is completely off because, and the thing is, most of the land base here is a bunch of cycle lands anyway. If any of these lands came in tapped and did like an effect, gave a creature protection, gave a creature first strike, or whatever the case may be. Oh, I'd even give it so it, like a creature can't be blocked for the turn or whatever. Fair. At least then I could play Kalemni, and then on turn five, granted I might not be dropping down a creature. I'm playing a tap land, but at least Kalemni can now have a better chance at getting in there to do something. Fair. If only we but have no. some sort of land that could grab a basic land and put into play untapped. Right. And the thing is, we have lands that grab basics, but even those, the ones that's in this deck, <laughs> they put those lands intact. So yep. technically. I have not 12, 14 lands that aren't going to do anything the turn they show up. So minus the land base, okay? So let's say we do get past the land base. We have no real creatures. At all. I don't think there's a single creature in this deck. There are no one-drops, I believe, at all. Nope. I have to go back through it again. The earliest creature you can play on turn two, I believe, is the creature that searches out more lands, and that's if you're lucky enough to have her. And there's another creature in here, I think, that came in at the two spot. Uh, no, no, what was it? I don't remember. But whatever the case may be, turn two, turn one, you're not doing anything. Turn two, you're not really doing anything major. Turn three, you only have, like, three three drops, four three drops, something like that. And out of those four, the only ones worth playing are Magus of the Wheel and the Changeling Bull, uh, Turian Mauler. So turn four, okay, we have Kalimni, or Kalima coming out, fine. And we have Desolation Giant, but, you know, I'm not playing him until turn six because I want to be able to raft the board. So seeing as how that's kind of how the way the deck is playing, Clay, I'm going to ask this question to you. Okay. If you were playing a deck and you did nothing on turn one, no creatures, nothing on turn two, no major creatures, nothing on turn three, no major creatures, what would be the average expected play for you to do on turn four? Uh, kill people. Raft aboard. Yes. There are no wrath of gods. There's no day of judgment in here. The effects that you do have that do kind of do those effects are like earthquake-style effects, so you have to put yeah. more mana into them, which means that by the time you get to cast earthquake for four mana, it's like turn eight. By this time, yeah. anyone, playing, anyone playing any type of aggressive game or combo game or whatever, they've already, like, set up basically all their pieces and they're ready to go off. Okay, fine. So let's say, this, because like, I expected this deck not to be the fast, aggressive, beat-down Boro deck because I was expecting it to be the late-game Giant deck. So I was expecting turn one through four and five to be, like, where I played my Mana Rocks, maybe play some equipment. Most of the time, you don't really do that. There's not many yeah. equipments in here. I mean, you've got you your lightning greaves. Yeah, you got your lightning greaves. You've, you've got, got the sword of cell. You got soul ring, boros signet, cold steel heart. That's a cool addition. I also got warhammer. Um, felwar stone, mind stone, and thought vessel. Right. And dark sealing. You, you have. have and worm power. You, you have a fair number of rocks. Yeah, you Why? have a fair number of rocks. You have a fair number of things, but because the mana base here has a one in three chance of coming intact. Almost none of your rocks are coming down on the turns that they should be coming down. By the time you have the mana to put the equipment down, 
you're basically debating about whether or not I should equip my equipment to the one creature I was able to successfully put down or play another creature. <laughs> like, the, the fastest I can see this deck getting started, and this is on a, like, super dumb hand, would be, like, land Sol Ring and then turn to um, land Urza's Incubator, and then turn three, you play... Oh, wait. Crap, you can't even do that. All the... You need another colored source, so, like, throw in a Cold Steel Heart or Felwar Stone, because potentially you could play Kalemni turn three and then immediately get an experience counter if you have mm-hmm. Sol Ring, a colored rock, and an Urza's Incubator in your hand. Right. So that's Which is so really basically... cool, but you're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> not every game. That's what I'm saying. On the games where you're able to, like, get to turn one soul ring into the Boros Signet, into the whatever you need, and you're able to just cast Kalimni and throw your big guys down, the deck, yeah, sure, fine. It works acceptably. <laughs> but that becomes, like, more of a corner case scenario than what the actual deck does. Yeah. So, for the first port, port search of the game, you're not playing any lands, you're not removing creatures, because there's no path, there's no source. The earliest piece of removal for a creature you have in here, I believe, is turn three, and that replaces the creature with a 1-1 one, one creature. Yeah. yeah. So you killed a guy I mean, and gave him could, a guy, which is good. You could earthquake good. some mana dorks on turn one or two. Yeah, but the thing is, yeah, you can earthquake some mana dorks, but if that's the, what you're doing with your earthquake, you're doing it wrong. I don't know about you, I earthquake mana dorks. Yeah, but the thing is, earthquaking mana dorks, fine. If everybody has a Birds of Paradise and Landward Elf or whatever the uh, case is. Earthquake will not field. hit that Birds of Paradise. No, not Birds, not, yeah, yeah, I want to say, like, if everybody has, like, their Landward Elf or they have, like, their, uh, uh, whatever land walking mana dork of whatever random color whose name I can't mention because I can't think of at the time, sure, earthquake dwarf, go right ahead. You've taken people off their mana, you've taken people off their game, you're good. But for the most part, if any of those creatures have a butt bigger than two, chances are you're not doing anything, really. Now, let's move on to the next down problem of this particular deck, and that is the fact that the creatures in this deck, they have, I believe this deck has seven or eight seven drops, which, don't get me wrong, I get it. The deck wants you to play big creatures. They want you to be able to put all that mana into playing big creatures. But the biggest problem here, though, is is that Kalimni doesn't give a damn about the fact that the creature is a 7-drop. She only wants them to be bigger than 5. So it's about, like, out of that 7 creatures, 4, 5, 6 of them that could have just gone away and been just 6-drop creatures or 5-drop creatures, and the deck would have been fine. And your mana base, while slow, would have still been able to continuously give you experience counters, help Kalimni... Uh, help help Kalima out and help build everything up for the deck. But because of that, you end up with a bunch of creatures. I can't remember a single time that I opened with a starting hand that didn't have, like, Angel of Serenity, Arbiter, the Arbor of No Ridge, or some other 7-drop in it and a bunch of tap lands. Every hand I had had that. Without me having to, like, mulligan and literally dig for something else, I couldn't do anything. And even when I got rid of them, I just drew into another giant 7-drop that I couldn't cast. Now, the one 7-drop that I will say that I did kind of enjoy out of the deck from the new creatures that were printed, I believe, because I think Dragon uh, Pilgrim or uh, Pillager is a new card, isn't he? Yeah, four four. The 4-4 dragon, and when it deals damage, you can cast stuff that you got to exile from the top of your library. Because that artwork looks familiar, but the effect I don't remember seeing. No, I think... But anyway. 
But anyway, the dragon, he's cool. Out of seven drops, I enjoyed him. You know why? Because he hits for four, digs four deep, and if I have demanded to cast those four, because I should have it because I cast him, I can cast something else. And my hand is empty. I'm fine with that. The problem is, I got to get to that seven first. Now, if I was going to make suggestions for this deck, I would basically say, one, every land in here that has the word cycle on it or has the word comes into play tapped that isn't one of the dual color lands needs to go. First and foremost, because the mana base on here isn't working. Second, the deck needs more removal. And this also brings up a big problem that I wanted to ask. This is the Commander Precon. I understand why Wizards wouldn't want to reprint certain cards in other formats because they wouldn't want them into, like, Standard or Modern or whatever the case may be. But Wizards, why? Why won't you take the time to give us something like Aftershock in one of these decks? It just seems like one of the best places for a car, a cop, like a reprint of Black Fisher. And you can't say it because it defies the color pie, because we got Chaos Warp. That's, that's just me trying to, you know, put that out there, because that's what I think would have been something that would have been here. There's a bunch of other removals in here that the deck could have used. Path of Exile, Wrath of God, Day of Judgment, Swords to Plowshares, any of these would have been perfectly fine. Uh, Oblivion Ring, I would have taken that. I mean, granted, we got the Banishing Light, but I would have taken the Old Ring. The... The five-mana enchantment that William got that got rid of three dudes, I would have taken that for this deck. Didn't see it at all. So, yeah. Uh, let's see here. A couple other things I would suggest. A few of the mana rocks that showed up in last year's blue pre-con, some of, some, a few more of those should have been here. Because that helped the blue deck throw out Krakens and Leviathans all over the place. And I'm playing a double-colored deck trying to throw away Giants and Angels and the biggest, fattest of dragons that I can find. So I kind of need those pots. So overall, I believe that Kalima is, one, at the helm of the wrong deck because the deck has so many creatures that are way over what they should be costed for her to work. She should only be in a deck that has a, has a creature base that maxes out at five and almost nothing bigger, with the exception of, like, maybe, like, a Titan or two here and there. The, she needs a better, this deck needs a better removal package, obviously. It needs a better mana base. So basically, she needs a better deck, period. Fair. Are you, did you get everything out of there, Calvin? You feel better? <laughs> no, because part of me is upset because this is a Boros deck printed by Wizards that newer players are going to see, and they're going to make the assumption that this is what a Boros deck should theoretically be like. And granted, I'll admit, most Boros decks aren't the best decks on the block, but you could have put a little bit more effort into this to give off a better initial impression than, oh yeah, you're not going to be able to do this, you're not going to be able to draw cards, you're not going to be able to fix your lands, you're not going to be able to fix your mana, and the creatures you have are all going to basically suck, for the most part. And then you're going to be stuck with a card like um, Noel Ridge that's going to just ruin anything you've done just because you didn't realize what it was going to do even though it's a giant and it's in a deck for giants. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> oh, I, I, I kind of just really want to cry. How could you do this to me? do you need to go get a drink? I've been drinking this whole time. <laughs> As have I. In fact, I'm about to make myself another drink. I've just been sucking down the woodchuck. <laughs> uh, I've been drinking fireball whiskey mostly but and combining it with juice. <laughs> Juice. I think the strongest thing I have right now is Muscoda. It's very good. I wish I had something stronger than this. Yeah. I mean, the one check's really nice, though. 
Alright then. So, that was the red-white deck. And we have nothing from Aaron because he didn't send an audio clip that would have been just a deck. He sent five, and all five of those would have been used already. Well then, um, so this green-blue deck, let's take a look at that. It's got, it's got, it's got wistful selkie. I like it already. It's got stuff in it. Okay, so this deck was probably the second one, I think, that had me, I, just for value. Like, it's got a turn of witness. That's a very strong start. It's got Looming Shaman, Trigon Predator. It's got our boy Command Beacon. Man Beacon, yeah, that's a really big one. Why was Prime Speaker Zagana here, though? I just, I don't Um, get it. I think the idea is that Azuri makes other things bigger, and that in turn makes Zagana bigger. Let me rephrase that. Why was Prime Speaker Zagana chosen as the reprint commander here? I don't know. Like, I don't it, actually know. Yeah, like, it would make sense to put her in, in an Azuri deck where Azuri can make things big and then she can come in. As a potential backup commander that you could play, I don't see it. No. All right, so very let's strange. See. Let's see, we got Orochi Hatchery, which Mark was really happy to see. Um, let's see that. So, something about Thought Vessel. The day that we <laughs> got our cards... A friend pointed out that if you look at it, you can kind of, kind of see the face of a man with, like, the mustache and those... Oh, yeah, I see it. Eyebrows. He, he looks kind of like the Swedish chef. Yes. Now I can't unsee the Swedish chef whenever I look at Thought Vessel. Well, shit. <laughs> yeah, now you can't either. <laughs> oh. I'm glad I'm not looking at Thought Vessel, so this way now I can potentially erase this, like, moment from my memory, and then when I go to see Thought Puzzle, it would just be Thought Puzzle. I mean, deck-wise, the, it, it looks like a, like a really sweet deck. Like, you got Kadama's Reach, Crows and Grip, you got Spider Fog. Spider Fog? Spider Fog. Spider Fog. Let's see. It's got, it's got high market. Like, value-wise, it has some very nice cards. The Command Beacon does pay for a third of the deck by itself. Yes. It's so stupid that that was a rare. It really was. Like, it at the most, it should it could have been uncommon. But as a but it just it felt like it that's a card that really should have been at common so that all the decks could have one. Yeah. Like we're playing with experienced counter commanders that people are going to fight be fighting to keep off. Just it just it, didn't make any sense. No, it, it really doesn't. Uh, let's see. A lot of the, the random value snakes are really cool though. You got Coiling Oracle, the Sakura Tribelder. Let's see what other snakes are there. Orion Thyper, Skullwinder. The Skullwinder was actually a very interesting card. I had one person complain about someone not knowing how to play politics correctly, because he just kept using his Skullwinder to give me stuff. He's like, I, I don't care, you just get back a thing. <laughs> Despite the fact that I could just get back stuff to deal with his things. Mm. See, here's something I have to ask a question about. High Market is in this deck, correct? Yes. Yes. And But it's a rare. Yep. But it is also in the green-black deck. What? Is it? It might yeah. only be at rare because it was originally printed at rare. Okay, yeah. They don't do the I, whole... They don't do that with the no, reprint. I, don't get me wrong. I get that. But, you know, you have a reprint Why is it of a in card this deck? that's... Well, one, it's in here. Two, it's in there. So it's one of those... You could have just substituted this out for a different land or a different card. But yeah. if that was the case, you could have just used Command Beacon in that spot in the other deck if you were going to put a card that was going to be in multiple decks. It's very strange. This seems kind of like one of those. I don't understand, Watsy. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not like 
I can easily see it just being like a deck design thing. They kind of just wanted to have it in there. Maybe there's some type of synergy for it here and there, so they put it in both. But if that's the case, then I think Command Beacon could have easily just been in both decks. Solemn Simulacrum was in this deck. Why was Solemn Simulacrum in the green-blue deck? The green-blue deck didn't need Solemn Simulacrum. Like, the white All box. decks need Solemn Simulacrum. You but shut up, sir. Solemn Simulacrum. It, it triggers Azuri. It triggers Azuri, but it could have been in the red-white deck. Could have, but it wasn't. It could have been in the red-blue deck. Don't talk to me about the red-white deck. <sighs> that is the deck that shall not be named. So we're ignoring 99 of these 100 cards, right? That's how the this is for the, What, for the red-white deck? No, the cards themselves are fine. The cards together as a whole is the problem. The Russian Explorer was really nice, though. The Cat Tide. Cat Tide? Cat Tide. Alright, so I did like that Bane of Progress was in the blue deck. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the Green Blue deck does have stuff, a lot of really nice stuff. It's not, we still have more of it on the shelf than I thought we would. <laughs> oh, well. So I kind think of, that the Sword of Vengeance wouldn't necessarily need to be here. No, not necessarily. All right. Don't get me wrong, Azuri's cool and everything like that, but I think Azuri Vengeance could have been somewhere else. Not saying, like, my particular end-up shitty deck, but, you know, I don't know. Something else could have been done with that. Oh, well. Okay, well, do what you gotta do. Alright, and what I gotta do is transition us. So we talked about the decks. The decks themselves are more or less fine. How do you guys feel about these compared to the other years? I think... Uh. Um... Like, I think they are pretty solid. Like, they all work fairly well out of the box, um, at least from what I've seen and from what I... Well, yes. Um, but every yes, year has sure. that one. Um, especially compared to 2013, where the decks were just kind of all over the place. These ones are more focused in and yet also still open-ended. Um, yeah, they definitely didn't feel as powerful as last year's. Uh, I they're, think they're good, not as powerful. Yeah, but they're they they all work. They, yes, they are very fun. They all work. Now, four out like, of these five decks work. It's not like 2011 where where most of the decks felt like they were slapped together. Yeah. Or 2013 where some of the decks just didn't feel put together at all. Well, that that yeah, that is that part. Because like I would say, like even with like the red white deck, which I basically just beat the hell down. It's one of those decks where I would honestly say, like, even as is, uh, as the weaker or what I would consider to be the weakest of all um, the five decks, it's one of those, like, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But with, uh, if this deck would have been given, like, a little bit more time to bake or sit in development and just have people look at it a little bit longer and kind of see the errors that I pointed out, it could have been a lot better without needing to feel as though they're breaking the format with it. Whereas, like, in past years, certain decks just felt like, what are you doing to me? There's nothing, you have no excuse here. None of these cards have a reason to be here. Even, like, the weakest deck here, it has a theme, and it's trying to go with it. It's just going about it in the worst way possible. Hmm. All right. So, now that we're done with that, we're going to go ahead and roll into our next segment. We're going to talk about upgrading these decks and some of the cards that we would suggest for them. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Now I actually get to talk about what I would expect from this deck. Don't get me wrong, Desolation Giant is cool, and understand. Someone at Wizards was like, this deck needs a, a wrath effect, but it also needs a giant. 
What giant could we get in here? Oh, Desolation Giant. He's He's got a Wrath Effect stapled onto him. Sweet. And Desolation Giant is amazing. I'll admit that. But when you have a commander who wants the creature with converted mana cost of five or more, Kicker does not help. Just want to make sure I put that out there. Make sure you know that. Make sure we're all on the same page. Let's go to the next segment. Now that you have your pre-cons, you've heard us talk about them, you've evaluated, you've weighed in with your own opinions and such, and you've decided to buy one you're up. Played some games, you realize, hey, you know what? I think this was a good investment. But you know what? You gotta step up your game now, son. So we're each gonna go ahead and make some suggestions that you can go ahead and use to pump up your deck. So, Calvin, what are some cards that you could suggest for the Red White deck that would help people get their game on? Uh, my suggestion would be, one, uh, Kalimni doesn't really care about giants. So most of the giants that's in this deck that don't really do anything for you, just just rip them completely out the deck. Get rid of the no, right, no ridge guy. Go right ahead and that magma giant. No, we don't need him anymore. Just kick that guy out. I would even suggest, like, kick out the hammer fist giant. You can leave the titans. They're fine. The Sunrise so, um, Savanth or whatever it is, the guy who gets other Giants plus two and Trample, no, we don't need him. We can kick him out. The Giants that cost five mana, like the War Chief and the Thundercloud Shaman, those stay. You can kick out the Hunted Dragon because, you know, you want a 6-6 six, six Flying Dragon with haste for five mana. We don't need to give our opponents three, one, three two, two Knights with Burst Strike. There's, that's just not necessary. We don't have to go that route. Uh, the Curse of Nightly Hunt, we can potentially get rid of. And there's a couple other cards in there, but basically, like, if it costs, like, seven mana, unless it's that dragon, you can probably just rip it out and put it somewhere else. Giselle is cool, but I wouldn't really, like, say the deck depends on her, so you don't really need her. And I would say, mostly, after now that we've gotten rid of them, a couple of creatures that we can easily put into these spots, I'm not saying that you have to go with it, because, you know... Not saying everybody has access to all these cards, but you know, we got like Bane Slayer Agent Angel. We could put that Bane in there. Bane Slayer Asian. Yeah, Bane Slayer Asian. It's a uh, blue because apparently that's. Oh, I what? think I I'm saw the anime. So yeah, we got a Bane Slayer Angel. We could put in. We could put in a Cloud Goat Ranger if you still want to go with giants. That's cool. We could put in uh, uh, Archon of Justice. That'll give us a chance to get some removal in there with a big dude. Uh, seeing as how we have all these artifacts, you can go with Jor Kadeen, you know, all those mana rocks that help him, and he can then show up and give everybody else there, like, a little bit of, uh, combat readiness. And then there's a few other, like, removal spells in here that need to be added earlier, like I said. The main goal for the deck, as it should have been designed, is I'm playing really big creatures after turn five. Nothing should be alive on the board when I play my guy. It should be kind of like a Boros Control deck. Which may sound weird, but if you've got Wrath of Gods and Day of Judgments and Earthquakes and Path of Exiles, you should be able to pinpoint, destroy everything that's on the field. Between red and white, you can destroy artifacts and enchantments. With red, you can destroy lands. Red, you can instantly or simultaneously hurt planeswalkers. So 
your early removal between turn one and your early game between one and four should either be A, playing mana rocks, or B, killing stuff. So this way, when you get the one threat to stick, it's the only threat on the board or the biggest threat on the board. Fair. Which is how I kind of expected the deck to play. But um, due to certain construction issues between the people designing the deck and the people packaging it up and shipping it is not how it ended up being. Go figure. Go figure. I mean, the deck is on the right path. It has a really interesting design. And, yes, I do intend on tweaking it and playing it myself as a Boros Control deck, but the current design does not help that in any way. (laughs) All right, so, Clay, well, how would you bolster the Mizzix deck out of the box? All right, so I have my own build of Mizzix, which is linked in the show notes. Um, to exploit the Mizzix. Um, but there have been several ways that I've seen people taking her deck out of what you see in this original deck list. Um, it's basically you have three routes that you can go. Um, there's my route of X spells, like a metric crap ton of X spells. Um, just because of the way her ability works and it allows you to cast them for a very low amount of mana, and get even more counters and just get a crap ton of value. Uh, I think the most common way that she's going to be built is more closely to what you see in the precon, where it's just good spells. It's good spells, you cast them, you get experience counters, and then you cast more good spells at a cheapened cost. That is completely fine. Um, in that sort of deck, you're more likely to see, you know... Um, where is it? It was right on here. Ooh. Or was it not on here? You can what? cast Treasure Cruise without delving anything away for one mana. Yes, I have done that, and it feels amazing. Um, Epic Experiment um, is really good in the value sort of deck. It's really terrible in the X spell deck, because everything you hit, X is going to be zero. Um, and then lastly, you can build her where she just takes everything. You hold take on, all hold, of your... hold on, hold on. What? What's with the obstinate familiar? Just, just give me a moment to go through, and then I'll give a mini deck tech on my own build. Um, speaking of which, I'm probably going to be recording a video about it for CMDR decks on YouTube and Twitter. Um, they put out a call for Mizzix builds, and I was like, I have one. So I might record one for that. But, so, lastly, you can build her where you just take everything. So you play your briberies, you play your acquires, you play blatant thievery. You play Treachery, you just play everything that can possibly uh, take anything, and you just kill people with everyone else's stuff. If you happen to combo off, it's because your opponents were playing things that combo with each other. Uh, the way my friend Josh puts it is that uh, he's just better at playing with his opponent's cards than they are, and it's probably true. But anyways, the way that I decided to take my deck is through an interesting little thing that we've seen with Animar, but the way that casting a spell works. Here's a mini uh, comprehensive rules lesson for listeners at home. When you cast a spell, the first thing you do is you move it from where it is, usually it's your hand, onto the stack. Then you declare what modes you're using if it's a modal spell. Um, And then, based on those modes, or just with the spell in general, you declare your targets. Um, Oh yeah, um, when you... You declare what X is within those steps um, before you declare your targets. 
because, you know, when you decide how many targets you have, you have to know what X is going to be. So then you move on to calculating what cost you have. And so let's say I'm going to cast Fireball, and I declare X is 7, and I'm pointing it at my opponent's head. So we go to do figure out what our costs are, and so first we add any additions, you know, like if an opponent has a Thalia, it increases it by 1 to make it uh, 8 in a red. But then I have Mizzix, and I have 8 experience counters. So Mizzix says, okay, so we're going to dock 8 off of that. That takes your 8 in a red down to red. So we just blasted our opponent in the face for 7 for 1 mana. And because X is taken into account when calculating converted mana cost, the converted mana cost of that spell was 8. So Mizzix triggers, and we get another counter to further fuel the rest of our spells. It's kind of ridiculous that it works that way. We've seen it before with Animar with Hydras, where if you have an Animar with, like, 10 plus 1 plus 1 counters, you can cast a Hydra only paying its colored cost and having XP 10, that sort of thing. It's the same exact thing. So the way I built the deck was I literally went through every blue or red instant and sorcery that had X in its mana cost, and I just picked a bunch of them that I wanted to play. So we play a bunch of fireball effects, we play a bunch of prosperity effects to draw a bunch of cards, um, we play some X spell removal, we play Curse of the Swine, because paying blue blue and exiling your entire board is just not fair. Um, we play a bunch of ways to draw cards. We have a single infinite combo in the deck where we can make infinite mana and kill everyone. But my favorite way to win with that infinite mana is by finding our Obstinate Familiar, which is a 1-1 lizard for red that says if you would draw a card, you may skip that draw. And then we cast Prosperity for 3,000. We draw our deck and then say that we're going to skip the rest of the draws. And then everyone else draws out and we don't. Huh. <laughs> um, oh, also... Probably one of the most powerful spells um, in this deck or in an Azuri deck is Inexorable Tide, whenever you cast a spell Proliferate. So we can keep casting our X spells and get double counters, or cast some one-drop cantrips and get more counters. In that same vein, um, Tezzeret's Gambit is absolutely nuts. Um, three in a Phyrexian blue sorcery, draw two cards, then Proliferate. So we have at least three counters. We just pay two life, and it is super mega Gataxian probe. Bruh. It's just not, not okay. Finally, our last little bit of tech that you can actually put into any sort of build with Mizzix is a goofy artifact from Odyssey, I think. Or, it's Weatherlight. Um, whatever the book one is. I think that's Weatherlight. Yeah, that's what. Yeah. Um, Bosium Strip. It's an artifact for three mana, three tap. Uh, wait, what, what is the oracle text on this? Um, until end of turn, if the top card of, if the top card in your library is an instant or sorcery card, you may play that card. If a card played this way would be put into a graveyard this turn, remove it from the game instead. So basically, the top card of your graveyard gets flashback. So, the most awkward part about this is because it cares about graveyard order, we have to actually keep our graveyard in order throughout the entire game. But, I've had shenanigans with this thing, where like, I've activated it, um, cast Tezzeret's Gambit for two life, and then immediately cast that again to draw two more cards, and cast Treasure Cruise for blue, and that was the top card of my graveyard, so then I cast it again for blue, and it just lets you recycle everything. Um, the, the funniest win that I've had with this deck, um, through a combination of Bosium Strip and just Mizzix being Mizzix in general, was, so we were playing Plane Chase, 
which is always a great way to start any story. And we ended up on Leith Lake, which is, at the beginning of your upkeep, mill 10. Whenever you roll chaos, target player mills 10. So the game goes on, our graveyards fill up, it's just me, um, a Mazarak player, and a Damia player. And so all I have on the board is Mizzix with maybe like seven counters and a Bosium strip. I have like three cards in my hand. This game's not going well. So Damia rolls a couple chaos symbols and mills me out. They have Damia on the board, but in those last ten cards, I go through and I see, before I put them into my graveyard, I see a couple spells and I decide to put Dominate on top of it. So it rolls around to my turn. I have zero cards in my library. And I go to my upkeep. And while I'm in my upkeep, I activate my Bozium Strip. I pay some mana and I cast Dominate. Because X1 blue blue. Instant. Gain control of target creature with converted mana cost X or less. So I cast Dominate targeting Damia. So I dominate the Damia. I gain control of her. I move to my draw step. But wait, Damia says you skip your draw step. So I cheat death. I return a couple cards from my graveyard to my hand, um, using Mystic Retrieval, and I kill everyone. Zero cards in library, skip draw step, because my opponent happened to play a commander that said that I got to skip, skip my draw. Huh. <laughs> you get the slow clap of approval, Clay. Mizzix is funny. Bosium Strip is funny. Play both of them. They're great. Okay, then. It's going to be hard to top that one. <laughs> so, Mark. Precon out of the box. You have quite a few suggestions, but let's stick to a few. Sure, brother. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hop on a soapbox to this one. I think there's there's four categories that I that I, I think this deck really needs. So I'll just give like one highlight from each category. You guys can read the rest in the show notes. Um, for card draw, which I think honestly was the the, the first category I'm gonna go over, and I I think the thing that this deck is really uh, missing the most, which is ironic because it's green black. Like most green black decks don't really have a problem with card draw. Um, throwing in even something small like um, Death Heap Ritual would be my pick for this one. Death Heap Ritual is real easy. Um, it came on uh, I think it was Conspiracy, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Death Heap Ritual is just whenever any creature dies. Uh, you get to draw a card at the end, at the beginning. Is it, it's your end step, I believe. So, um, and it's green black. It's like a four mana enchantment. Big deal. Uh, but it totally works and it would have worked really good. Um, it was one of the, it's like a, I don't know why there aren't more morbid creatures in this deck. Like, morbid seems like a thing that would go so well with this. Um, but anyway, yeah, Death Heap Ritual. There's a ton of other card draw effects. You don't need me to tell you, like, if you play Commander at all, you don't need me to tell you how exploiting creatures for card draw is a good thing. Um, <laughs> so play more of them. <laughs> oh, was the, uh, the Abyssal Persecutor in, in the deck? Um, Abyssal Persecutor was not in the deck. Mm, so. That seems like I mean, one that you want. Yeah, I mean, even something like the new one, um, the Smothering Abomination, like the new Eldrazi, uh, where, you, like, you draw a card each time you sacrifice a creature, like, that seems like it would be pretty good. That just seems like stupid value. Yeah, like, I don't know, like, crowd favorite fecundity, like, you're gonna have more crap dying than other people. Like, you even mentioned Moriak Replica, man. Like, I would windmill slam Moriak Replica in this deck. I thought you would. Yeah. You could put in Spore Frog! Exactly. You could. You could just make it toolbox if you wanted to. So. See, I, that guy I was talking to about where he was just unhappy with everything that he could reanimate and felt like he wasn't getting any value, like, I suggested, I told him, like, yeah, you're just going to put it in Stay Away Thunder, right? And he looked at me like I was crazy. 
Like, like no, Seder Wayfinder is the nuts. It's also in this deck, though. Yeah. I mean, like, he was also working on a deck from scratch, I guess, but... Yeah. No, yeah. But, I mean, no, like, that's amazing. Like, I would totally put... Like, Seder Wayfinder does everything you want to. It feeds your graveyard, it, it you know, mills the top four cards, and then you get a land, probably. Um, and even if you don't, then you still get crap in your graveyard. Because it's Marin, and yo, you're gonna get a creature back from your graveyard every turn, either to your hand or the battlefield. So... <laughs> Here's a quick question I have to ask. Is there any type of green-black mechanic that wouldn't go in this deck? I mean, Scavenge goes, Dredge goes, Morbid would have been perfectly fine. Mm. Hmm. Like, now now I'm trying to think, is there, like, a green-black mechanic where, like, or a set where green and black had come together where the graveyard or death didn't matter? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I can't really. Because if, if that's the case, we could have taken her and just put her at the helm of pretty much uh, green black that um, deck with any mechanic. And oh yeah, I mean you could. She could definitely do like green black good stuff. I mean, I don't think it would be super powerful, but I mean this deck out the box isn't super powerful. It could be fun. Like I had fun with this deck. I think regardless it's like, no, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to knock all of them. But that's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to like knock the deck or anything, or not trying to say you know, oh yeah, you know, we could do anything. But, like no, I'm not trying to say anything negative towards the deck in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's just that the more I'm sitting here thinking about cards that we could have put in there, I don't think that there's a single green-black mechanic that couldn't have, that can't work with this, which means that she can be very diverse because you could build a green-black morbid deck or a green-black dredge deck or a green-black scavenge or a green-black flashback or something of that nature. Or, green, and just, or, or and I'm just spitballing here, green-black dragon tribal. Hmm. Let's see. Not Do we sure have enough? Well that would work. Let's see. I'm there aren't look. that many green dragons. There aren't. There are some black ones. You have some dec- thirteen. Some black. Black, you have thirteen dragons that are black or green. I could probably see that because her effect would put them into your hand. And one of right. them is Tokyo's show. Oh, we're not even getting to that point. The effect <laughs> would put the creatures into your hand if you don't have enough experience counters for her. So you can always use them for like discard effects or whatever. But then once she has the, like, six or seven experience counters on her from some from other stuff dying, now your dragons, even though you only have 13, they're always coming back, just showing up constantly. But what, let's be honest, like, Kokosho should go in this deck. Huh. Yeah. I'm, I'm not annoying. saying I, 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 was just, I was just saying that because of Will, primarily. You could have Destructor yeah. Dragon. I would, t- I would probably take Destructor Dragon. I mean, what the hell? You know, Ooh, you could you could even put Skittles in there if you really just wanted to piss off your play group. Hey man, the Brexian dragon that just refuses to show up, like just refuses to die. They kill it. They kill her. She comes back. He shows up again. Skittles and blood spore Thranax would be kind of messed up. <laughs> just saying. All right. So then finally, with my deck, you know. Like I said, it doesn't take a whole lot to actually swap it over to a control build. When I would try, when I was trying to repurpose the deck from the deck base, I ended up getting a control deck out of it without having any of the core cards in it that I wanted to have. Like a lot of the core cards that I wanted to have, like the um, uh, the Captain of the Watch, the Singer Autocrat, the Hallowed Spirit Keeper, the Cloud Girl Ranger, a lot of your guys on the mark, a lot of the Army in a can type creatures were what I wanted to build the deck around because of reanimation shenanigans and the enchantments thereof. Like, you have reanimate and uh, necromancy 
you know, you have a lot of different enchantments that you can run to facilitate a reanimation reanimator strategy. They just oh shit! Now I just thought about something. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, keep going. Okay. Well, remember a couple weeks ago, weren't we talking about mono white reanimator? We were. Uh, yeah. Oh shit! You could just merge that sh- together with like a black reanimator deck. Uh, no, uh, never mind. I'm staying out of this. Go ahead, Will. Do your thing. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, you're actually about you're actually about right. You just take your white tech and you, you take your black tech and you merge them together, and now you have the super reanimator deck, the black white reanimator deck, which granted was already a thing. But now you have a guy who just gets super benefits from that. Like, the only reason you would not be running Daxes of it is that you ha- prefer, like, one of the Obsidac guys or Fish Cow or Athreos. You know, one of those type things over Daxos. Uh, with Daxos, I'm going Reanimator Tokens, though. So, like, I've got some Anthem-type stuff. I've got your Field of Souls, your Luminarch Ascension, Shadows of the Past is another good one. Like, creatures are going to die. You're going to make tokens. They're going to chump. They're going to trade. You might as well get some free scries and get some card flow going off of that. The Dark Prophecy actually seems alright in the black-white deck. Because, yeah, you're going to lose a life every time you lose something. But you draw a card. And some of those cards are going to give you life gain. So that balances out very nicely. Overall, though, you're probably going to... If you want to make the deck more controlling, you're going to look at some of the stuff like Oblivion Reigns. Uh, Merciless Eviction is a card that I think should really be in every black-white deck. Because it has oh, yeah. such powerful utility. You get to Oblivion. You get to pl- play the. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of instant speed answers to that I kind of just couldn't play this black white deck without. And it really killed me to, to figure out what the cut was that stuff. <laughs> but uh, your Oblivion and your Stasis Snares are going to be the bread and butter removal for this deck. Like you could even go more and slightly more initially and play like the uh, Stasis Feel, your Silk Wrap. You know, depending on just what your meta is going to la- allow you to do. I've got Utility Zombies here. Because I really wanted to, to put Endless Ranks of the Dead in this deck. Like, I did, I did, I love that card. I actually got a print of it when I was up in Cleveland for GP Cleveland from the art, original artist. And I love that card. I just have a hard time actually fitting it into decks because it's so... The fact Narrow. that you... I wouldn't even Niche. say... I wouldn't even say, say that. I would say, for some reason, it's really hard to get two zombies to stick on the board at the same time before this thing gets removed. Like, I, I don't get it. Like if it if it didn't say that that rounded if it didn't have rounded down at the end it would be incredibly playable and like that's how it should work anyway like one zombie makes another zombie that's how it, that's how infections start and the infection doesn't start when you have two zombies it's not mommy d- zombie and daddy zombie got together and decided to rampage through Chinatown no you get one zombie it it, it fucks up a bunch of people and then boom now you have zombies now you have patient zero that's how it should have worked. But no, now I've got something that's just a little harder to pull off. I mean, it helps that Daxos is a zombie. So you get actually get some really nice utility zombies when you start putting that in. You've got your Graveworm Muse. You've got Corpse Connoisseur to help with that reanimation stuff. Corpse Harvester. You've got Cemetery Reaper. Uh, Pontiff of Blight is another good one. But the big one is going to be Agent of Erebos, which is the 4-mana 2-2 enchantment creature zombie that says Constellation. Whenever an Agent of Erebos or another enchantment is play you get to Bajuka Bog, someone's graveyard away. So it just becomes, hey, you're trying to pull out some reanimation shenanigans there. Hey, ain't your friend? Sorry, buddy, can't let you do that. Pay three mana, boom, just nuke your graveyard. Boom, nuke your graveyard. Boom, nuke your graveyard. Whew. So, yeah, a lot of simple stuff in there. I feel it, the deck just really, really wanted a stasis snare. So if you, so if nothing else, make sure that's the first thing you, you get for it. <laughs> All right, and then if we had Aaron here, he could tell us what would go into the green-blue deck. But alas. Alas, poor Aaron. 
I knew him. <sighs> hmm. All right, then. Um, Here's about... a question for you, yes? judges. Endless ranks of the dead. If I had zero zombies and it rounded up, wouldn't it still be zero zombies? Yes. Okay. You still need so in order one. for it. So no, in order for you, Williams' version need, of it to work... You need at least two, because it says half the number of zombies you control rounded down. Yeah, no. No, I know how Endless Rings of the Dead works. No, I was telling Clay. Yeah, I know. But I was, like, saying for it to work where instead of it going rounded down and rounded up the way William was talking about, I'm sitting here thinking about it, that card would probably be too good. So in order for it to stay, like... From ended up being like in all the metas, all the places, or act, or potentially being banned. I would say it would need like extra mana cost on it or two. Probably be like four black. I mean, it still wouldn't like be that. that bad. Like, no, like I would even be fine with it costing like five, maybe even six, because like you, yeah, get, you, have, you have one zombie, then it becomes two, then it becomes three, then it becomes five, six. then you add three more, then it's eight. No, it becomes five. No, but if no, but if you did it as the rounding up, you would have three. It would be half of that rounded up, so it wouldn't go to two. It would go to five, wouldn't it? No, you get two more, so it goes to five. Yeah, okay, yeah, you would get two more because we have under yeah two. Never mind. You know, yeah, I I, I wouldn't even it, I, even still rounded up. I don't think it wouldn't have been that bad. I mean, granted, if I had to been like one colorless triple black to keep people from like putting it everywhere or whatever the case may be, in case it did happen to be a little bit too good, but the thing is, you still need a zombie to kick it off. Exactly, you still need one zombie to kick it off. No, no, you, yeah, you still need at least one zombie to kick it off if it was rounded up, and that is yes. perfe- that is perfect flavor win. Yes, but the way it is now, you need. I'm saying that it wouldn't be that broken if it was rounded up. Rounded up. You see, it would it would probably go you, back if, into my Sadissi deck. <laughs> If it was it would be be- Yeah, it would uh, be better than what it is, but it wouldn't be so much better that it's like, oh, shit, now Endless Ranks of the Dead legacy decks are just popping up all over the place. Yeah. Now, see, and the other reason is that I really like Necromancer's Covenant, which is the zombies you, you control have lifelink, and, oh, hey, when it enters the battlefield, you can exile all the creatures from someone's graveyard, including your own, which I did do once. And Daxos gets lifelink off of that, which is actually really cool in tech. Like, what happened was, I didn't actually want to... Lo- I had a Night Howler on Daxos, and I didn't want to, him to actually get smaller because I needed the life. So I didn't have any creatures in my graveyard. So I just said, yeah, I'll exile all the creatures in my graveyard. Oh, look, now he doesn't get smaller, and now he has lifelink, swing in, stabilize. <laughs> but actually, huh, so if Elspeth comes back as a zombie, and then you have her and Daxos out, they just start making zombie babies. And that's a Endless Rings of the Dead flavor win. And that's where the zombie dad and the zombie mom get together and make the Endless Zombie Babies from Endless Rings of the Dead. Endless Rings of the Dead came in in Innistrad, but it should have came out in, like, the second block of Pharaohs and had Daxos and Elspeth's artwork on it. All right, guys. So we've been going for almost three and a half hours now. Mark's tired. I'm tired. I'm pretty sure Calvin's a little drunk right now. Let's go ahead we, and a little drunk. At least a little drunk. I think we've done all we can here. So, you know what? It's time for us to take this to the outro. <laughs> okay. But I am actually kind of disappointed the Boros deck wasn't a Boros control deck. Yeah, Nola's too. I know that. 
Because that, that's the thing, like, as I looked at it and heard heard about it, I didn't even, like, look through the deck list and everything, but, like, just hearing about how it was supposed to be this and the third, I was like, you know what? It seems like a perfect place for a Boros control deck. Going to get to do all the rafts, going to get to do this, going to get to do that, and now actually be able to play control and be in red and white, it'll be sweet. All Not right. so much. Let's go ahead and do, let's go ahead and put a bow on this. Yay. Alright, so this has been Commander Cast episode 227. I'm going to go ahead and thank everyone for showing up tonight. Calvin, thank you for being here. Uh, here, as always, or as best as I can be. Uh, this is 27? Yeah, this is 27. Okay, just making sure. Does that include the dangly bit episode from last week? That includes, uh, the, that includes the dangly bit episode. Like, I was surprised. Like, wow, 27 past 200 already. Alright, Mark, Clay, thank you guys for being here. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So, who is tapping on their mic? Not me. This time, the sound isn't coming from Galvin. I'm sitting. I'm sitting as still as possible. Which really means he's just twitching all over the place. No way. No, I mean, I've actually kind of got like a nice little wobble to me at the moment. People wobble, but they don't fall over. But they do hand out contact information. So, Calvin, if people want to reach you, how can you do that? Uh, if people want to reach me, it's easy to do. You can hit me up on Twitter at Captain Red Zone, or you can hit me up with an email in Gmail at CaptainRedZone at Gmail dot com. Or you can go over to the Commander Cast Facebook page. Last I checked, we were at 799 likes or followers. I'm not sure what they call them on Facebook. But we have 799 people on Facebook that are there listening and commenting and all that other stuff. And you could be number 800 if you get there quick enough. All right. Mark, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, Gmail is still the best way, even though I have to apologize to all the people who wrote me emails that are sitting in my inbox. So, I'm not blowing you off, guys. I've just had to do really unexciting things like workout insurance changes. And yay, that's really fun. Uh, yeah. I'm going to do that too soon. Yeah. <laughs> fucking, dude, there's nothing worse than being an adult some days. <laughs> uh, I, I actually have to go look for my own me- medical sh- insurance now. Yeah. <sighs> yep. All right. Clay, people want to meet you? How can they do that? Uh, people can find me on Twitter and Gmail and occasionally Reddit as EDH Panda. Uh, my girlfriend and I often, well, not as often right now, but uh, we stream on occasion at Pandalpaca on Twitch. You can follow us on Twitter for updates. We're probably going to be streaming a bit more now that we're about to be on winter break. Now that we're done with the show, here's where I'm going to put Aaron's outro here, in case you want to contact Aaron. Thanks, guys. I had a great time not being there um, and calling in from the streets of Seattle. Um, I hope that you guys all enjoyed uh, my parts or whatever Calvin decided to edit in here for me. Uh, As always, you guys can listen to me on the stack on every other Thursdays that isn't Rivals Duel. You can find me at UncleLandrops at gmail.com. That's where you can email me um, any questions you might have, um, any thoughts you might want to have on the stack. We also, I also have a Twitter, um, which is at Uncle Landrops, all one triple compound word. And uh, you can ask me questions there, which will also go to the stack as well. So if you guys have anything, um, it's great. And again, thanks so much. Mm. All right. And if you, want, if you want to get in touch with me personally, I am WIEHernandez at gmail.com. You can also follow me on the Twitters at BlueRam1409. I'm the guy with the Volcarona avatar there for Pokemon Icon Month. If you want to go ahead and 
Uh, let's see. Aaron's going to put it in his content information in the Robo version, Ar- right? I already said Aaron's thing, so he'll already been inserted by this point. Okay, so Robo Aaron's good. Alright, and if you want to message us here in CommanderCast, be sure to check us out on the Facebook page. You can also tweet us at CommanderCast or email us at CommanderCast at gmail.com, which our buddy Kurt sent us an email. Let's see, yeah. Hey. Hey, Kurt. Oh, dangle bits, dangle bits. Emails. Go again, dangle. Well, no, 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 I'm just thanking Kurt for the awesome idea because he's the one who who said uh, suggested that we should dangle bits, dangle bits. Yes. We'll talk about that. Dangle bits. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm okay. I, I've been working a 70 hour work week. Okay. I know, I know. All right, so and you know what? You can leave us a review on iTunes. We'll read off any five star reviews on air. Uh, we haven't had any since September though. So. Oh. But hey, if you like what we do here and you don't want to just leave a review, consider supporting us. And you want to us. give us a tip. And you want to give us the tip, consider supporting us on Patreon. Some of you are donating already, and uh, uh, no joke, I'm actually really touched by that. You know, the fact that people out there think we're worth, you know, like three to five bucks a month, and that someone out there actually thinks we're worth ten dollars a month. Look, I need to get something special out there for the guy who's donating ten bucks a month already just for the tip. Just wow. Thank you guys so much. Hopefully we can convince more of you out there that were worth some of your time and some of your wallet. But it's coming. No worries. Yep. So, and you, so if you can get out there, go over to Commander Cat's Patreon page and give us a tip. Just a tip. But if a little extra slips in, we're not going to complain. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? A big thanks to everyone here at the Commander Cast Network, too. You are all fantastic friends, and I'm happy to have you. Music for our show is the X Meets Heavy Metal series by 331 E-Rock. We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it! So it was. Alright, so hit me up with this email, Will. So it's just us. So Kurt writes, Hello, I have an idea for an upcoming show. I know that typically you want a year to do your review of pre cons, but what if you suggested some ideas for cards that could be added to each deck that can power up the deck a little bit? I know that sounds familiar to what the Command Zone does. Yes, it is similar, but I feel that your podcast is a very different playstyle from them, and I'm very interested to see what you would add to the decks. I do feel that your podcast is much better for players like me who prefer to go to the red zone more often. Thanks for your time and love the show, Kurt. Thank you, Kurt. We love love you too, Kurt. So, seeing as how this is the dangly bit section, just to ask, have you gotten a chance to watch anything new on TV? Uh, actually, yeah. Like, let's see, did I mention One Punch Man last time? I don't think I did. No, we didn't, but I did get a chance to watch some of that. That it, I watched some of it on YouTube. I've only gotten, like, eight episodes in now. Oh, it's on Hulu. Oh, it's on Hulu? I'm going to go watch that as soon as I'm done with this. I, actually, I think the eight episodes might be all that's out right now.
Still. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, dude, the, isn't that just like the best thing? Like, uh, you, don't, you don't have to worry about this guy. This guy's got it covered. Like, you got to worry about all those other poor, poor scrubs that are hanging out there trying to beat down the monsters. Like, because what was it? Like, I remember a few months back or last month, someone sent me a clip of him during, like, the superhero trial training section. And I thought that the clip was hilarious. <laughs> and I played it. And then someone mentioned to me, like, oh, so did you see this part of da 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 or the show and whatever? I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Someone just sent me this clip, and I thought it was just something that was too damn funny for me not to just share it to everybody I knew. And then, like, I realized it's actually a thing. Um, did you realize that the show, the character for One Punch Man, was only created because the artist who came up with him was just playing around with some software? No, I didn't. Yeah, he had no real intention for this to actually be a thing. He had just kind of, like, gotten, like, a new, like, art design software on his computer, and he was just kind of playing around with it just to kind of see the limitations of it or what he could get away with doing. That's why One Punch Man has such a simple-looking face most of the time. Wait, you're talking, about, really... you're talking about, like, how... Was he messing around with, like, how he could take, like, a simple design and then make a super serious transition? Yeah, but, like, you know, like, just the, the movement, like, the character moving from one spot to another. Ah, And the okay. city-scale escape and all the other stuff. Just trying to, like, you know, play around with it to see what he could get away with with the software design-wise. So he made One Punch Man look so simple because he just wanted to have, like, a simple character that he could just kind of do all this stuff with. But then he put it out there just to see people's reaction to it, and it just kind of became this epic underground major thing. And I was like, oh, did not know that, but now I know. And knowing is half the battle. Unless you're One Punch Man, which half the battle is balling up your fist, and the other half is just putting it wherever it needs to be put. Like, ugh, this, you know, the show actually does a fantastic job of building up that tension, despite the fact that you know that he's going to win it in literally one punch. Like, the, <laughs> like the, you, you worry about Janice, you worry about all the other scrubs, and, you know, the, the, the show, you know that the guy can beat whatever gets thrown at him in one punch, but for a half a minute, you actually get to start, you start, you start thinking, Wait. What happens if he throws that punch and it doesn't kill the guy? Or what happens if th this guy actually... Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Like, what happens then? But you have to remember, the creator also didn't... My trivia is that the creator did an interview where someone actually asked him, so what happens when Saitama doesn't beat a guy in one punch? The author actually went, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the entire premise. He beats everyone, everyone, in one punch. Doesn't matter if it's Goku, doesn't matter if it's your mom, doesn't matter if it's that squirrel that, look at you, that looked at you cockeyed across the street. He beats everyone in one punch. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, I, love it. I love how he just has this shift in art style, though. Like, a lot... So yeah, yeah, like, he just has, like, this, like, extremely dumb look on his face most of the time. But then, like, when it's time to go, his face just turns, like, total serious. It's like, wow, that is a level of anime I was not expecting out of the show. Just super shonen mode. Like, straight like straight from, like, Pokemon into, like, straight on, like, Dragon Hunter Ball X. Dragon Ball, yeah, just going. It's like going, it's like watching the evolution of Toriyama in, like, a split second. And mm -hmm. that, that intro song is actually just way too catchy. Like, I'd almost yeah. want to see a One Punch Man meets Heavy Metal series, but then you realize that, wait, that actually just kind of is Heavy Metal. <laughs> it's 
So I guess uh, it, well, it's like heavy metal meets more different heavy metal. Heavier. One Punch Man meets heavier metal. <laughs> because Heaviest only, metal. Because Saitama's the only one who can actually carry that much weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that we've gotten a chance to talk about Daxos, here is where I'm going to insert Aaron's response to Daxos. And now that we've talked about Mizzic, we're going to insert Aaron's response to Mizzic here. And now that we've talked about Kalimni, I'm going to insert Kalimni, Aaron's response to Kalimni, here. And now that we've talked about... No, I'm doing... It's called editing, dumbass. <laughs> and now that we've talked about Marin, I'm going to insert Aaron's response to Marin here. And who is the fifth one? Azuri? Azuri? He, well, he took the... Yeah, he took the Azuri. There we go. So. All right, and, and now that we've gotten a chance to talk about Azuri as best as we could, here's Aaron's response to what Azuri does. Take it away, Robo Aaron. And here we go with Aaron's intro. And now that we're done with the show, here's where I'm going to put Aaron's outro here, in case you want to contact Aaron. Ooh, so spooby. It's like, there. I, it's like so now, I so now I don't have to worry about remembering to do that at the end of any of the other segments. I just have to remember to insert them into the show when I get to the editing process on Sunday. And Damn. if I don't, I can just cut one segment out and just keep it moving. <laughs> Can can we use the uh it's called editing dumbass as the cold open? I think that needs to be the cold open. <laughs> <laughs> it's called editing dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> After all this time, you don't understand what I'm doing yet. <laughs> it's only been like three years, man. Come on. I hate time travel.